ahead and get started before we seep any more of this video gamey gold out of our out of our face holes. Yeah, we're kind of draining the pool of goodness. We're going to be left with some scum at the bottom and we'll just have to run with that. Okay, let's save the scum. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hello there, listeners. Welcome to episode number 25 of the Square Waves FM podcast. Ever, ever, ever so glad to have you along for the ride with us. Uh, I am uh, your host, Brian, and I've got an extra special guest along for the ride with me today. Uh, please introduce yourself, Mr. Dude Guy. Hello, I am Ben, and it's good to be back, and I like games. Yes, that's why we love you. Welcome back, I like I Thank you. I like them a lot, and it's very nice to be back here again talking to you about games. Yay. Games are great. Aren't games great? They are. That's probably the, that's probably the most awkward introduction I've done to anything ever. So we've set the tone high. I hope so. The bar. Eh. <laughs> I, I didn't want to do a Trolls and just shout swear words at you to like start things off. I thought, I'll do... Boobs! Yeah, that'll work. Yeah, I'm no, I'm no good but, at that. Trolls, but, come back and help us. You need to be my, my swearing coach. I can say bum cheeks, but I see, I find bum cheeks so much funnier to say than, you know, than boobs? any of, the, well then, well no, any of like the big swear words, like, because oh, yeah. I spent, I spent six years working as like a manual laborer, so that was all I heard all day, so I'm just completely numb to any humorous effect that fuck might have. Well, sheep are pretty foul mouthed, I had no idea. <laughs> they are. They're... Yes. Yeah. Hooray. Mm. So, <laughs> so, so, oh, so, I, uh, I, I have something important to tell you. Wait, I have two oh, important I'm... things to tell you. That's good because I've got two ears, so I'll listen to one with one and the other with the other. Okay, good. First ear gets this little treat. I, I wanted to let you know that I complimented a man at the gas station yesterday because he was wearing a t-shirt with sword fighting narwhals. And it was nice. The, it was the coolest thing I've seen. That's I mean, that's, that's extremely cool. That's the whole story. But I was... that's all I need. I'm, <laughs> we can end the need? podcast. It's already the greatest podcast I've there ever was, heard. Like, nose fighting. It was like majestic. <laughs> can you? The, the thing is, is if I remember correctly from my study of novels, which isn't very in depth, but it's not actually like a unicorn thing. It's just one tooth just sticking out. Is it a tooth? It's a tooth, I believe, I which is crazy. No, because yeah. I thought it was like a uni- like a rhino's horn. Yeah. Because obviously unicorns aren't something you study very often. But I, that's, I thought it was like a horn. But if I remember correctly, and I know people correct your podcast all the time and feel great about it. Don't they? But yeah. feel, if there's any marine biology experts out there, feel free to correct me. But I believe it's actually a tooth. Like... Imagine being the dentist and you just walk in and have like one massive tooth sticking twenty feet out and go, "Hey, it doesn't even have to talk. say ah, like there it is." <laughs> That's right. He could work on it. I'm in the wrong leaving. line of business. Mm. Mm. Okay. 
Well, that was one thing I wanted to bring to your right. attention because okay. I knew you would have some I'm gonna, insight. I'm changing to the left, the the left ear now. Okay, let me know when your when your rotation I'm maneuvers ready. have concluded. I'm ready. I'm okay. quick at this. Okay, I <laughs> I am caught up now on on your lovely podcast uh, with uh, Francisco, the Blue Cup Tools podcast, and uh, as you may have gleaned from uh, an email that I sent you and. Francisco, I uh, sent you guys a correction before listening to the last of your <laughs> of your episodes. These guys were talking about uh, Bubble Bobble, and uh, hmm. that CAD, Francisco, had the audacity to say that it is no good, that it is not a fun game and not a good game, and, and how hmm. dare he. That's, that's hmm. quite the scallywag of a thing to say. So, he actually, <laughs> he got a lot of people going, telling him off for that. That's which pleased me greatly because I thought Bubble Bobble was cute, and I've never heard of anybody disliking it. The, it's it's kind of monotonous, and oh man, the the music in that in that game <laughs> is is it's just atrocious. There's like twenty seconds of music that loops for the whole mm-hmm. game. So anyway, <laughs> I, I I I emailed you guys. I don't know whether you got my email. I know you're not much of an email guy, but. Um, I, I emailed these guys saying, uh, oh, because uh, Francisco said that it was a never-ending game. And I emailed them back saying, oh, in fact, it's not a never-ending game. It has, like, 99 levels, and then you uh, beat the end boss, and if you beat it with one guy, then you get the bad ending, and if you beat it with two players, then you get the okay ending, and then it unlocks the super-secret mode, which you have to play all 99 levels again. I think you might even have to play more than 99 levels again. Of course, listening to the same 20-second song looping for all 99 levels. And then beat another boss, and then if you you have to actually beat it with two people. Anyway, these guys already knew that, so I sent them a correction, having listened to two of my three unlistened podcasts. And in the third podcast, they corrected themselves, and so now I've got egg on my face as 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 well, it were. I appreciate your backup because Francisco's you know going on about blah blah blah. The thing that that made me sort of worried is that he sort of shouted at me for not knowing Bubble Bobble because I didn't have an NES. But I believe Bubble Bobble was originally an arcade game anyway. Yeah, it was. And you were correct to say that it's been ported to, like, toasters. It's basically. been ported to everything. It's it really one of has. those games. It was yeah. very popular. But it was best in the arcade, I think. It, it had nicer well... instruments for that terrible song, for one. <laughs> it was great on NES, though. I never had an NES. Oh, I've played. I've played maybe... I think I played some of the original Zelda in browser when they ported it to HTML5, I believe. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty fun. But yeah, I'm, I'm, my first console was a Nintendo Wii that I purchased in 2006. Oh, really? Mm. And then you've gone That's on to tr- buy other consoles. I have. I've gone and got a PlayStation 1, 2, 3, and an Xbox One, and a GameCube. and Yeah. Oh, that's a good collection. Yeah, I... I... I started collecting consoles. Well, I don't know if collecting is the word, but we had a red, original Nintendo in the 80s and then a Super Nintendo, and then I got an N64, and that was about where I got bored of consoles, but later on I bought a Dreamcast from a, a, a college friend, and when I saw a review for Katamari Damacy, which is uh, one of the games on my on my list for today's topic as well, I bought a PlayStation 2, especially for that game. Nice. Uh, and, that, and then a Wii. And that's all I. That's all I have. And now that's still. That's still a, a lot TV. of experience. Oh, it's plenty. Yeah, I've been playing. Hmm. Well, I played console games for like fifteen years or so, and 
I played some today, as a matter of fact, but uh, emulated. And uh, on the, do they do they call it the Nintendo Entertainment System in Australia, by the way, or do they call it they Famicom? Do. They do. No, they call it the the NES and the SNES. Okay, because I know that you guys call the we call it the Genesis here, but you guys call it the Mega Drive, correct? We do. Yes. Yeah. And people used to confuse me a lot because I thought the Mega Drive and Genesis were two different things, and I eventually found out that's not the case. It's just different regions call it different things. Yeah, I think that was the European name or something. It must have been some trademark thing. I'm not entirely sure. There's all sorts of things, like Another World is Out of This World and and uh, Exhumed is Power Slave, and there's all sorts of changes going on. Oh, that one I didn't know. I thought that was yeah, two different I think, things too. I believe that they changed um, the name of Exhumed from the European release to Power Slave in America to trick people into thinking that it was somehow tied into Iron Maiden because of the Egyptian theming and Iron Maiden using a lot of Egyptian theming. Oh, I'll have to take your word for that. I'm not a a Maiden fan myself. Okay, they're alright, they're pretty good. Oh, well, something else I wanted to bring up about your podcast, because what do you do on a podcast but talk about another podcast? That's um, very, this is very meta. Yeah, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> you, you guys were talking a little bit about, about, you had an episode about choice, and you talked a lot yeah. about the importance of the illusion of choice. Um, and I, I heard something in yet another podcast. It was an interview uh, with a guy that I've mentioned a few times on my podcast, a guy named Sean Elliott who used to be a journalist for Games for Windows magazine and now works for... uh, Well, then he worked on Bioshock Infinite and now he works for whatever the studio is. Is it Arcane who made Dishonored? It is Arcane with a K. That's Because that's that's like like Korn the band in the 90s and 90s. You're all full of of metal references, aren't you? I was an... Well, I wasn't... I was a frustrated teenager. (laughs) Well, that is... That's that's a fine choice of music for such a state. <laughs> well, who isn't a frustrated teenager? I mean, you I know what? Know. You know it be... all. You can't do anything. Yeah, and then you fun. realize you realize later that the reason that you were so probably constrained by everyone because you were pretty dumb back then and still are. But I, anyway, I, I was a dumb one. Anyway, um, I still am. <laughs> yeah, I know. What's what's growing up? I've heard of this thing. I've, mm. I've just grown out. So. uh... What uh, Sean Elliott had said on this other podcast, um, it was he he's very much like a, a a really in-depth thinker about games, and he interestingly went from being a journalist to being a level designer, of all uh-huh. things. Um, he told this amazing story on this other podcast, and it's actually about economics, but he related it to uh, the feeling of ownership of a character, of a video game character, and I thought this was... Uh, this was pertinent to your discussion about choice and the illusion of choice. What he was talking about, I don't remember which brand it was, but there was, I think in the 1930s or the 1940s, there was this brand uh, of, like, uh, easy-to-bake cakes. Um, It was like Betty Crocker or something like that. Uh And they sold this instant cake mix, and it wasn't popular at all. The idea was that they wanted people to be able to make a cake really quickly and be proud of the fact that they had made this cake. Um, So they did a bunch of research... And uh, with the express intent of trying to sell more of their instant cake mix. And what they learned was that if they added to the instructions, because originally it was just like, just add water to some powder and poof, your cake is Whip it, it up. appears before your eyes. What they found was that if you add to the instructions that you need to add one 
egg. You have to crack an egg and then stir that into your powder and then add water and then it turns into a cake. That people felt a much greater feeling of ownership and they felt like they had actually baked something, not really from scratch per se, but that they had actually accomplished something that that's a real baker would have to kind of do. Um, so they added that step into their ingredients and into their into their uh, product, and it sold gangbusters. So that was a very I'm, interesting thing. I've actually heard that story before, that bit of trivia, and I forget where I read it or heard it. But it's a really interesting idea because um, I like playing a lot of new games and I like playing a lot of old games. And when I play new games, there's a lot of stuff done for you like the old fiddly things that you used to have to do back in 1997 you suddenly don't have to do anymore and sometimes that's really convenient and you think oh great i don't have to manage my inventory you know or anything like that but other times i I really miss it and which is weird because the game's trying to make it easier for me but let me play like let me have a turn so yeah well um would you say then that would you rather play a game that does steps for you, but you cannot really make a choice that will cripple your character so much that you can't proceed? Or would you rather have the freedom where you might potentially have to restart the game because you've screwed yourself up irreparably? I love being able to fail. For me, if I'm not playing an adventure game, could be, uh, but even adventure games, I love the idea of being able to fail. I'm a little bit odd in that respect, I think, because people seem to stray away from that these days but i love the challenge of trying something and not knowing whether it's going to work or not you know sure i i'm kind of of two minds of that i guess because i mean i think that you learn the best lessons from failing but at the same Mm -hmm. time if if it's like totally irreversible then it can just be frustrating. Like, the reason that I... I love Diablo 1, I love Diablo 3. The reason I could never get into Diablo 2 was that I made a character, and I made, I think, in two level-ups or something. You have to spend your points. Every time you level up, you put your points into some thing or another, or to some skill. And new skills unlock over time, and you have the choice to either save your skill-spending points or to use them immediately. And I <laughs> immediately regretted... Or I eventually regretted spending points on something that I couldn't get a refund for, and I had like 10 hours into the game, and I thought to myself, do I really want to play all that content all over again for 10 hours, or what? And I decided I didn't. So that's... that's what I, I don't find that particularly enjoyable myself. I think it depends on the game, because to me, Diablo 2 was very boring, because I like role-playing games, but I'm not a big fan of action role-playing games, because it's just fighting constantly. There's not that much exploration and talking and doing all the things I love, mm-hmm. like uncovering a world and characters and all that things that you get in RPGs. And So Diablo 2 was boring for me on that thing. But one thing I really like is, t- is approaching a game-playing experience as um, educational, as something that you have to learn. I don't mind restarting if I've failed. It, as long as I know why I've failed. That's usually what I want. If I don't know why I've failed, I don't mind restarting. It's like arcade games. I'm terrible at like run-and-gun shooters and platforms. Absolutely terrible. I'm so bad at them. But I, at one point in my life, could finish Metal Slug without dying because really? I learned the game. Oh, I learned the, I knew every enemy, I knew every projector, I knew what was happening. I knew, you know, mm-hmm. and I'd told myself I want to learn this game. So to me that's really quite rewarding to learn a thing. I love playing the, like these deep complex RPGs where you have to start over and over and over and over because 
oh, if I'd taken that spell, I could have done this. If I'd used that spell, I could have done that. And it's a process of learning by failure. And I really like that. But I guess to some people, that's very frustrating. And, you know, oh, I have to play through the content I saw before. If you're just playing it to see a story, then I understand that that's quite frustrating. But to me, that's what a film is for. That's what a book is for. I'm playing it to be challenged. And I guess that's a, a very unique style of play to certain people. But that's a that's fair me. comment, I guess. I mean, one one of my pet peeves with RPGs is being forced to choose, like, to spec points into various attributes before you really understand what they are or why they will be important. Yes, <laughs> yes. Every RPG. Yeah, I I was talking to Richard Goodness. Do you know Richard Goodness? Do you talk oh, yes. to him on Twitter? Yeah, I was talking to him about RPGs. And I was talking to him about Serpent in the Staglands, which is a great indie RPG that I've been playing a lot. And that really requires you to learn it a lot. And I sort of said to him some things about, oh, you'll probably have to restart once you've figured out how the game works. And he said that he usually plays a few hours into a role-playing game because that's pretty much what he plays his role-playing games. He said he usually plays a few hours in, quite happy to throw that game away and using it as an educational experience on getting... Like, that's his tutorial of the game, is playing a few hours in. They're going, okay, now I understand how this works. Time to start over and make some informed decisions. Hmm. That's that was a, really That's a good philosophy, I suppose. That's a good attitude yeah. to have towards it. It's like the time that you would have spent studying a complex manual you kind of spend in the school of hard knocks instead. Yeah, you learn by experience. And I think... It really depends on what sort of player you are. I remember Francisco Gonzalez, my co-worker, co-host of I the other podcast. Yeah, you probably do, as it was recently that he was on your podcast. Rather. Um, hi, Francisco. Hi. He gifted me a copy of Mega Man X for PC, which was mm. very kind of him. And I started playing it. And the thing with Mega Man games, I don't know if you've played any or not. I've oh, only yeah. played a few but is that you have to sort of figure out which weapon defeats which boss. And he sort of said, oh, what are you going to that one for? That's not the right one. And I'm like, shh, don't ruin the game. Mm -hmm. I want to, I can figure this out. And he said, oh, no, I used to look up which ones to, because I hated having to replay the things. And I just, that's the complete opposite to me. I hate knowing. I like learning. So Mm -hmm. everybody's, everybody's different. You know, I know I can run through Doom you know, there's levels that I know with I could probably do with my eyes closed in Doom mm. because I've played them so much and I work them out. I learnt them doorway by doorway, enemy by enemy. I know who I have to shoot, when I have to shoot, where to pick up the rocket launcher, where to use it, what to save it for, that sort of stuff. Right. I like that. It's a it makes me feel like I've learnt an instrument and I was talking to one of my friends, um, about Doom, he couldn't quite get why I like playing Doom over and over again. And I said, it's like learning, to me, it's like learning a song on guitar. You know, mm-hmm. you spend a week learning each note and everything like that. And then you know it and you're not doing anything new, but every time you play it, it's like a performance. And it feels good to nail the solo. It feels good to nail that bit. And you go, yeah, I did that good. So That's a great way to put it. Because then you can kind of give it a little flair or something or take some little risks knowing generally what you're supposed to do but kind of find new nuances to exploit you push yourself and yeah yeah, that's very interesting and i think it's a form of gaming that really hardcore players like speedrunners love when i see them i go i see people play games there's no way they should be able to do the things they do and i just think that is it's like watching a great performance it sure is i don't know whether your internet is good enough for you to watch uh twitch or streaming 
Streaming, uh, streaming things? Sometimes, but not regularly. Because uh, there, there are amazing live uh, speedrunners. I heard you discussing amazing. this with oh, trolls. it's so cool. It's so cool. Because it's one oh, thing that's... to uh, watch someone's highlight reel or to watch the one attempt where they really excelled. But it's quite yeah. another to see them, like, screw up and it costs them three seconds. And they're like, oh, that's no good. I have to discard my 45 minutes of progress and start all over. Start over. That's incredible to me. That shows a real dedication to perfection, which is very inspiring to me. And also makes me go... Jesus, I've got like a thousand games to play. <laughs> How do you yeah, exactly. Oh man, exactly. But, I mean, yeah. I, I, I played through Baldur's Gate one twice. I soloed it, which is it's a it's a game in which you usually take six people with you. Six and you soloed it, and I and I decided to solo. It's a fairly common thing amongst. Um, well-experienced players in Baldur's Gate, and I'd never done it, so I decided last year that I was going to solo it. And it was one of the most stressful things I'd ever done, but it was so rewarding that the next day I woke up and I thought, I'm going to solo it again with a different class, and did it again. I soloed it twice in one weekend, and it was terrifying. It was... I mean, I know where most of the items I needed are. I know the game pretty well by now, um, but it was still stressful. But after I finished it, just this great sense of accomplishment, like doing something that I wasn't even sure I'd be able to do. Oh, that's very cool. I, I, it's pretty rare that I, that I invest myself so much in a game like that. It's such a complicated game. I'm kind of, I'm the kind of person that will often ignore things like, like traps or crowd control, uh, in, uh, RPGs and I'll just kind of brute force my way through something. I'll give myself more armor or more healing or something like that and mm-hmm. kind of Hulk smash my way through it. So I'm sure you must have been a real master of all of the different tools at your disposal in order to do something like that. It's interesting because I used to really be like the brute force guy, but as you play a thing, you get closer and closer to it. It's like getting a doctor in something. You really become focused on little tiny wedges of very specific knowledge of what works, and the more you get invested in it, the more you care about, how could I do this slightly better? Sure. So, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and you mentioning um, Metal Slug, by the way, kind of makes me realize how formative that must have been in terms of your animation style, am I right? Yes, Metal Slug, um, Simon the Sorcerer, all those pixely games. When I was sort of learning pixel art, which wasn't that long ago, I sought out the best... I just did Google searches for best pixel art and stuff like that, and one of my friends recommended Metal Slug to me. Um, he was an art student at the time, a design student, I think, like graphic design. And I had a Wii, so I bought the anthology. And just watching the animations over and over and over again while I died miserably. And But even like all the old uh, Super Nintendo games like Street Fighter 2 and that sort of stuff, just watching those animations over and over and over again mm-hmm. to figure out how they could use so few colors, how they made animation look so good. There's a lot you can learn Oh, sure. I think uh, Metal Slug in particular is just really stunning and very, very it is, fluid. Yeah, you can Amazing tell that animation. it's... That it's um, arcade stuff always had, like, the best of everything and because they had specific machines designed for that thing. And, yeah, you they know. had the horsepower, sure. Yeah, and then the Neo Geo came out, and the Neo Geo was just... The things Amazing. they did made... Oh, just... It's still... I look at the stuff that they did on the Neo Geo today, and it still blows my mind that... Mm-hmm. 
that wasn't a more well-loved console. I think it was just too expensive. Was that the reason? I'm not a console yeah, guy. Yeah, I believe I believe adjusting for inflation, that was the most expensive console ever. And it mm. was so powerful that they actually used the exact same hardware in the arcade machines. Is that so? Yeah, so it really was the very first like arcade-perfect home system because it was mm. precisely the same hardware. Correct me if I'm wrong, listeners, would be the first time, but I'm quite sure that that's <laughs> the case. But I think adjusted for inflation, it's like 800 US dollars or something. Oh my good today, sweet today money. Yeah, it was really something. Even more than the mm. 3DO, which I think was the second most expensive one. So there you go. Well, I've learned something new already, and we're only half an hour into the podcast. Only. If that. If, if that. that. Yeah. Mm. Um... Speaking of 3DO, I read a very good long-form article this week. It must have been like a good, I don't know, 10,000 words or something. It was called How EA Lost Its Soul by a guy named Colin Campbell. This was for Polygon. Um, I've read some of Colin Campbell's work before, so I know of him. His name is familiar anyway, but I thought this was a phenomenally exceptional, very, very good article. Um, It's about the, the formative beginnings of Electronic Arts and about its founder, Trip Hawkins, who Mm -hmm. uh, went on to become the creator of the 3DO, for better or for worse, mostly for worse. Um, (laughs) And uh, it's really a great article, like, about talking about his philosophy to... He didn't like the idea of marketing very much. He didn't like marketing to uh, end users, to customers. What he wanted to do was to market to developers to attract the very best developers because he felt it's not the best marketing that will make you the most money. It's having the best developers making the best products, which will make you the most successful. And it was his vision to kind of have this, uh, this haven for nothing but the very best game designers in history in the early 80s. What an um, admirable and now lost concept. It really is. Uh, it's it's such a good article. I, I so highly recommend reading the whole thing, and it's all about how successful he was at that for a while until the company started getting bigger and bigger and they needed to involve more people, and not everyone shared his philosophy, and he kind of got marginalized a little bit because he was a better idea man than a businessman. Mm. Uh, but it, it's, it's a really terrific story, and uh, Colin Campbell is sure a great... Writer, I can't think of what else it was that uh, I've read of his. I know that I've read something else impressive of his, but I'll stick this article in the show notes anyway. Lovely. I. Yeah. It's interesting to me because in the 90s and even the sort of early noughties, the, I would see the Activision logo or the Electronic Arts, EA, whatever it was at the time, because they couldn't make their mind up, logo, and that was exciting to me. The Activision logo filled me with, like, excitement just because I'd played so many of their games and they were all... What was not, their logo? Was it the rainbowy one? Uh, Activision had, like, the... Just with the V in the middle of the word and it would do the... Oh, yeah, yeah, like the Van Halen yeah. kind of a V, isn't it? Yeah, the the... The rainbowy one was Infograms, I think. There might have been With the Aardvark. There might have been. Oh, yes, that's right. Or the, mm. uh, the Anteater or something, yes. And uh, wasn't, there a, wasn't there a GT logo that was kind of rainbow or Gradiente or something like that? I don't know. GT Interactive. Mm. I haven't heard of them for years. They haven't, I think they might be. I know. Oh, I'm actually I... looking at... I just searched Google Images for Activision, and I did find a couple of rainbowy ones that look like they're okay. kind of old. So there you go. Go, go brain. But it does have the Van Halen V, which is cool. Yeah, 
Um, it's like a Corley Motors kind of a logo, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the... Um, although it doesn't have the wings that the Corley Motors... Right. But yeah, I used to see those logos, and it just filled me with excitement because so many great games had come from these companies. Well, if not great... A lot of these games I didn't find fun, but I found them cool. You know, like I'd be like, oh man, this is so cool. And I suck so badly at this game and I'm failing so miserably. But the idea is so cool and it's impossible to play, but it's so cool. So Yeah, that was the era where the games, as you were saying, the games were so, so complicated and so much micromanagement. There, there were a lot of simulations and the audience was very clearly like for an older, more educated audience than than you often find these days, I suppose. Yeah, and when also when you're a kid and all you get is like a few shareware games on a CD because you can't afford real games, it, you never get the manual. So you're f- just blindly fudging your way through demos and shareware builds just going, I have no idea what I'm doing and this, these graphics are amazing, even though it was like 16 polygons and half a texture. Very true. Mm. So, yeah, but now I see Activision, I just go... Eh. You know, I see EA, and EA have made some very poor choices in terms of being a likable company. They've probably made themselves a very profitable company. And even yeah. Ubisoft are just idiots. <laughs> yeah, they, they sure are. Well, uh, you, you must be familiar now with um, WB Games, who uh, released and then pulled back this new um, Batman game for PC. Mm, what a poor you- decision. To Such release a poor that. decision, mm-hmm. and I don't remember what it was. They actually did something similar a, a few months ago. They had another game that was released in extremely poor condition, quite prematurely. And now for the That's... Batman one, they're saying it might they might have to have pulled it for like three months or something. So. That's it. Really goes to show like how little they care about the the quality control about what they're putting on the shelves. It's Very... interesting because. People really complain when PC ports are delayed, like Grand Theft Auto games and things like that, but it really goes to show that for the end user, it's the best option if the developer needs more time to work on it. Always. Let the PC port wait. You know, you've got, Absolutely. With Steam sales and everything now, you've got enough games. Right. And if you've That's... played all your new games, go and play an old one. Exactly. That's why That's I get my... worried about things like uh, Fallout 4. Where it's months and months to go, but they have they're telling you exactly what date it will be released. I don't understand how they can do that. I really don't. Well, yeah, they do it. They they do it uh, whether whether or not it's ready. I guess. I mm, uh, see. I I I'm involved in game development, but I'm in a very small scale sort of operation, and we can just we don't need to have pre-orders and that sort of thing. We just go well. We're going to need a bit more time to make this work, so we'll wait a bit longer. You're really lucky to be at a company that permits that, because mm, I think it's, I it's best for everyone. Yep, to, it's to best for the players. It's best for the developers. It's just, you know, it, it would it would probably break my heart if I had to release something and thought, oh, if only I had more time, I could have made this game good. You know, who wants because. I, I believe that the people that work on these games that get shipped out, you know, Assassin's Creed Unity, I think mm-hmm. it was, was famously... that I believe that these people put a lot of energy and effort and soul into the game, and it must break their heart to see all those months and months and months of stupendously hard work sort of being neglected because you can't see the face texture. 
Yeah, exactly. I guess people don't appreciate that this seemingly unplayable game is like 99.8% finished. Hmm. It's only that it's the that it's the devil is in the details as the saying goes, and it really is. You know, the one week of bug fixing can change a million things in a game. Yeah, that's so, right. Yeah, you know, I I don't understand. I mean, I do understand from a corporate perspective. You've probably got shareholders and that sort of thing. Shareholders are assholes. The world hasn't learnt this yet. I used to work in right. a bank. Shareholders are assholes. <laughs> that is something I learnt very quickly working. They in a only bank. want one thing, which is a little bit more. Yeah, they always want their little dividend to be a little bit more. Exactly. So, mm. And if there's any shareholders listening to this, you're probably <laughs> an asshole. Well, as it happens, <laughs> I, I, uh, my wife and I started our our two week vacation, which is now over, sadly. Um, the first thing we did was go to a financial planner, as per my parents' advice, and invest some of our money into whatever. I don't know. She's gonna. This lady is gonna invest for us. So I guess I'm a shareholder now. And I have mm. to give kudos to my wife, by the way. Um, the the uh, investment uh, counselor lady. Uh, showed us a whole bunch of stocks and said these are the sorts of things that we're gonna that that we advise putting money into because of the markets. I'm not gonna go into great detail about this, by the way, but she showed us like banks and manufacturing, and one of the things she showed us was oil. And uh, <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, okay, well we're like gonna we're gonna like save up for our retirement and stuff like that. And my wife is the one who spoke up and said, no, I don't want to invest in oil because it's ecologically unsound, and I want to invest ethically. And I was kind of disappointed in myself. The like I've I've considered myself to be like a a moral ethical kind of a person my whole life. And the millisecond that I've give, been given the opportunity to make a little bit more money, I was I had to ask myself like, am I am I about to throw all this out the window? So mm, thank goodness gone, for my lovely wife for you've me. gone mad with power, Brian. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I will say this. I will say this. I think you balance it out. When I heard her <laughs> ethics of playing The Sims, I think you kind of balance each other out and oh. <laughs> <laughs> find some okay. harmony, some middle ground, balanced, neutral spot in between. Okay, good. I feel better about myself now. Mm. I'm <laughs> glad I could sort of reinforce your personal belief that you're a good guy. Okay, thank you very much. That's fine. That's why I'm here. That's why I came on the podcast. Oh, you were the you were the wind beneath my butt cheeks. <laughs> that, that explains a lot. <laughs> I had to that's go back probably, to the butt cheeks. Were we were we on the, the air or off compliment. the air when we were talking about butt cheeks? I think we were off the air. I think that was oh, our warm-up little banter. Okay, folks, listeners, stay with us. Uh, there may have been discussion about butt cheeks. I'm sorry if we're going a mile a minute here, but uh, now you're all caught up. <laughs> <laughs> stay tuned for more. <laughs> Uh, um, I'm sorry. I'm 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 thinking about bums and multitasking at the same time here because I'm realizing that we have a lovely voicemail from one of our oh, listeners okay. from Akago, and I had it downloaded to my other computer and not to this one. Okay, I think that's oh, ready to go. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm so disorganized today. I don't know what that's my problem fine. is. I'm, I'm just sitting here playing with my Cookie Monster pillow. <laughs> oh, okay. That's that sounded like of... a wonderful euphemism until I qualified <laughs> that. We're not into the weird games yet. I'll have some euphemisms when we get into those. Okay, that's good. <laughs> you, um, 
Did I just spoil... Uh, people are going to know the topic from the title of the podcast, of course. Oh, the p- titles of my podcasts are always all, like, cryptic and, and stupid Well, you and could call this one Playing With My Cookie Monster or something. Playing With not. My Cookie Monster or something. Okay, I think I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, just leaving... <laughs> I was just leaving you options. I don't want you to feel forced into giving it the title that I decided. That's not the sort <laughs> of guy I am. I'm into player choice. That's good. I, I regretted uh, not using a more clever title for uh, my my episode with Francisco, which was about our favorite soundtracks, because I, I called it Earful, which is whatever. It's an earful, I guess. But then I, I remembered that Francisco had this great unintentional pun where he said he was harping on something and he was just talking about harp music. Oh. I should have called it harping. Mm. So, I, I, you whatever. Could, you could have called it Mad Loot. Mad Loot. Oh, ha, 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 ha. That's even I've better. actually I stole that pun. I don't know where I saw that written down, but I stole that from someone else. I'm not that clever, so Oops. whoever wrote that and allowed me well didn't allow me, but unwittingly allowed me to plagiarize it from thank you. Yeah, thank you, some guy. Well clearly I have to outsource my podcast titles, I suppose. Mm, you, I think you could just call all of them quivering power squat. Oh and yes. I still laugh about that from my last time on the podcast. <laughs> oh, it's... memories of the uh, Nintendo Power Pad. I forgot about that. <laughs> I really want if, if ever I have a montage of like indie game development, my morning is... I'm just going to tell everybody that I start my morning with a quivering power squat session. <laughs> Do a few reps of the quivering power squat to get me fired up for the day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, nice. Um... Oh, I have in my notes that I forgot to mention here that Joe Mastrioni tweeted a photo of his soundtrack of The Dig. He did. A CD. Boy, is that cool. I've never seen that before. He said that he ordered it directly from the LucasArts store, which is so cool. What a great thing to own. Yeah, that's a a really nice soundtrack. It really is. I mentioned on on the show with Francisco that it's a beautiful soundtrack that's not really done justice because they had to compress the audio so much. It was like low quality audio to fit on the game with all the speech and art and game and all of that stuff. So having a proper music CD is a really special thing to have. Yeah, I miss the I miss the days when you could put your game CD in your CD player and just hit play and hear the game soundtrack. That yeah, was, that was great. I used to the love Red Book that. audio. Except yeah. my uh, my CD drives always had like a slow seek time, so whenever it would be time for a CD track to start playing, or if it got to the end of the track and had to skip back to the beginning, it would like pause my game for two seconds while the laser was moving. I remember Quake was like that. We put up with some shit in the 90s, man. I know. <laughs> I know. We're grizzled veterans. We're lucky to be yeah. here, man. I've, I, I've it... had literally like minutes stolen from my life because hmm. of CD-ROM seek times. I sometimes still play on my old Pentium S, and um, that has CD wait times and things like that still, and I think, oh, I remember this. This is like the old days. Oh, I I envy you for having one of those. I've just been piddling around with virtual machines, which are not quite the same, particularly with the sound. And with the... Do you have a, a CRT monitor for that? No, because I was a kid and a teenager when CRT monitors were a thing, and my eyes have suffered too much. I mm. So many PlayStations have ended with me not even being able to close my eyes. They hurt so much back in the old CRT days. And I, I don't forgot have... about that. Yeah, they're oh, like man, radiation that's the worst. factories. Oh, um, I just... 
Because I've put in some big play sessions in my time. I tend to play fairly long-form sure. RPGs when I get the chance, and they require 15 hours of constant dungeon crawling. And, you and just of course walk you have away. to play them in the dark. Of course! It of feels course. more like you're in the dungeon that way. Right. <laughs> and, you know, maybe you put your lava lamp on the side just for a bit of ambient light. But, I've uh, always wanted a lava lamp. Thank you for reminding me. I'm a grown-up, damn it. I, I deserve a lava lamp. I'm going to go buy a lava lamp. I've always wanted one, and that, that dream died with my childhood. And now I'm going to, note to self, buy a lava lamp. I, I think you'll be like the third person I've influenced to buy a lava lamp. <laughs> You're a lava the, pusher. People forget how cool they are. They're, and you think, oh, I'll get bored of the lava lamp. I never, I don't, I'm not bored of the lava lamp. I got the plasma ball with the lightning that shoots out. I got bored of that. But not the love. <laughs> oh, that even th- those are cool too, man. You're reminding me of all the cool stuff that I that I don't have enough apartment space for that I promised myself as a child that I would own like five of. I'm okay, bringing someday, up all your lost, shattered childhood dreams. You are. Okay, yeah, someday but... I'm gonna like I'm gonna like have the floor of my apartment will be like the lightning ball stuff, and so like <laughs> lightning ball lightning bolts shoot out my feet, and the walls will be lava lamps. That's cool. I will warn you, if you put your hand too long on the lightning ball thing, the plasma ball, it actually heats up, so I don't know that you'd want to keep your feet on there for too long. Oh, I see. Hot footing, literally. But I I will say, as much as I've got all this cool junk, I literally can't move in, you know, anywhere, so... Right. (laughs) I've traded mobility for having useless crap that I always wanted as a kid, and now have money and can go, I want the useless crap that I wanted... Oh, I don't know if you saw when I... This must have been half a year ago or so, maybe less, when I decided I, I wanted to move in my apartment and threw away a whole bunch of stuff. And I threw out all these CD-ROM games and so many people were begging me not to. And no, I, I hope I don't regret it. I threw out I threw out a copy of Sam and Max Hit the Road because I only had a CD and not a jewel case. Yeah. I threw out... I don't even know. All kinds of stuff. The, the stuff that didn't have a jewel case or a box. I threw out all this stuff and... I felt really bad. There was this one lady. Oh, why can't I remember her name now? She is. Um, she's making a documentary about video game music right now, and she works for the <laughs> University of Waterloo, not far from me. Anyway, she said that she at her university has this. Uh, they have like this archive of old computer stuff, and won't, can I just send it to her? I'm like, sorry, I'm throwing everything out today. <laughs> and she said, okay. I felt I feel bad in retrospect now. All the stuff I must have thrown out, but. I don't have the same attachment to physical goods I've decided. I just want the data. As long as I can play the game, I don't really care about the feelies quite so much. As someone that has a massive collection of physical games, like massive, and has endured avalanches, I've literally had avalanches <laughs> of games fall, like, you know, 20 games falling on top of me while I'm trying to, and just just terrifying. I think there comes a point where you have to go, I've got enough, or I've got too much, you know, um... Because mm-hmm. I do have a lot, and I've recently moved a whole bunch of them into storage. I've probably moved four or five hundred of my games into wow. a, into a. I have a lot of games um, uh, into sort of storage because I think I've either played them or I'm not going to get around to playing them at any point now, mm-hmm. um, or any point soon. So you do have to sort of say. This is impacting my life in a negative way. I can't move without games falling on top of me or, you know, I can't do the things I want to do because I'm hanging on to a jewel case of a CD of a game that I've got on Steam and GOG and, you know, who cares, kind of. Right. 
But I mean, I'm a massive collector, which is a real problem for me. I'm a hoarder. It's a really big problem for me, and I'm trying to teach myself to get over that because. Well, are you a hoarder or are you a collector? Because I think there is a distinction. I'm a hoarder. I'm a terrible hoarder. I'm terrible. Like, do you have like old Kleenex boxes in case you might need it? I have. I've been recently cleaning out my Kleenex, not Kleenex boxes, but you know, <laughs> all my my stuff. And I have like the box of the keyboard that I bought. <laughs> eight years ago that hasn't uh-huh. worked for four years and I don't have the keyboard anymore but I've got the box in case I ever need it for <laughs> I don't know sending the keyboard that I threw out back or something so I've been just going through and I just went I don't need any of this shit throw it out I actually cleaned out everything that was under my bed which was just a lot of empty boxes of stuff that I don't have anymore so I could build a Lego train track under my bed and now I have <laughs> a you? working Lego railroad <laughs> under my bed Oh, that's beautiful! Oh, when my I I have a I have a Lego railroad story. Let's do I, it. Uh, I'm ready. <laughs> I loved Lego so much as a kid, and unlike a lot of my friends who are also into Lego, I also like to play with the Lego stuff too. I was the only one. They'd be like, "Let's keep building." I'm like, "No, let's play with it." So yeah, sure. That, I, I grew out of my playing with it anyway, but the, my, my short story to tell anyway is that I had my eye on this Lego monorail set, which had a little electric wind-up motor, and it zoomed around the monorail, and it was all awesome, um, but it was way out of our price range. And then one day, we went to a, a department store and found the Lego monorail. I would always look at it when I would go to the toy store. I think I must have been like nine years old or ten years old. And... Um, uh, it was usually about 200 or $220 or thereabouts, and this is in the mm. 80s, so I'm sure adjusted for inflation, that must be like double that, which is a heck of a, an amazing <laughs> price for such a toy. But uh, I found at this one department store, there was no price on it, and I showed my dad, who I was shopping with, like, Dad, look at this, there's no price on this thing, let's, let's just ask what they'll... But they'll they'll give it to us for, and he's like, no, 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 it's always the same price everywhere. You look at it every time you go. I'm like, Dad, please. So he he uh, picked up the thing and he asked the lady, and she's like, oh, it's not in the system, and there's no price on it. I don't know. It's like the same size as this other box. How about if I charge you fifty dollars for it, which is about a quarter of the price it was worth? And I looked at my dad with like my twinkling, gleaming eyes, and the sad puppy face, and everything, and he bought it for me. And so I built the Lego monorail and I played with it for seven minutes. It was great. <laughs> seven minutes, but it was like so cool like, because worth. it's leg because it's Lego. You can stick all this other stuff on there. So I had yeah. like bat wings on my monorail, or I had like spaceship <laughs> lasers on my monorail. It was I could put like I could like detach the heads from all the people and like put all these severed heads all over the monorail. This was the monorail. That's okay, great. I, mm, I got very great. bored with it very quickly, but I was so proud of the the story of acquiring it. it was more. <laughs> more fun I, than the actual that's ownership. Great. I built my first dungeon level in Lego, and made my, my really? brother like, and made my, my brother like give me step by step instructions to how to get through. And I had like traps built in with like bricks that were just <laughs> sitting there. And when the little minifigure like stepped on them, the, the brick fell down, and the minifigure fell into the thing. That was that was my very first ever Whoa. level design. You're like Lego LARPing. Yeah, I just. Lego's a great construction. I still have, like, a whole bunch of Lego, and if I want to look at how something's designed, they're really abstract forms in a very unique and readable way, and I do a very similar thing with my graphics. So I find Lego a very useful reference, and I still use it all the time, as, like, how can I break something as complex as a building's architecture down into a simplified form that will read with 10 pixels? Huh. I guess Legos are kind of analogous to pixels, aren't they? They they kind of are, yeah. 
Do you use Lego to visualize something in three dimensions, like a person for yeah. a rock cycle or something? Not so much people, because people are way more complex than Lego minifigures will allow, but vehicles and stuff like that, they let you appreciate foreshortening and angles and everything like that. I actually have a little wooden mannequin for people and a hand mannequin for people. Oh, like the animator model thingy? That's the one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Heard of them. Never, never seen one. They're pretty cheap and they're pretty stiff and they don't do much, but they give you an idea of depth and perspective and that sort of thing. Yeah, in my very humbling, very humbling attempts of drawing things, it was always the proportions that threw me off. So I can see how a tool like that would be beneficial in a few ways. People are very hard to draw. Well, if you're me, then anything is very, very <laughs> hard to draw. I have no visual... I, I, have no art, I have no concept of like drawing something with my hand. I don't have the talent for it or the dexterity or the memory to, for the details. I'm just destined not to do that. All I'm good at are like really simple minimalist sorts of things, which is a art style that I kind of enjoy anyway. If you've seen any of my like Twitter uh, uh, avatars, I like to make myself. I have. But... You, you changed yours recently. Yeah, I made my most recent one in Microsoft Excel, and I included the <laughs> Excel window in the screenshot. It was real dorky. I wondered what that was. Now I know. Yeah, if you like... If you, I, I don't even know if I've said my, my, my Twitter handle on this podcast. I am at Demodulated, guys. If you'd like to follow me, please be my guest. I'd love to talk to you. Um, you yeah, should you follow Brian that... because he does amazing. Every Tuesday, we do little drawing and image creation sessions, and he's always make me laugh very much. Oh, well, thank you. Yours often do as well. I, I, I love Tuesday. Oh, yeah, hash, hashtag Tuesday, H-U-E-S-D-A-Y. If anyone, if any of you have uh, any interest in uh, participating in this, this is a. How would you like to describe Hughes Day? I call it a speed paint because that's what I use it for. But it's really just you've got an hour. You take a theme that we generate with a random word generator, a random noun generator. I should specify, either me or somebody else picks, just clicks the button, and a word comes up. We use that word, and then you draw or you Photoshop or you mash stuff together or you paint, whatever you want to do, for one hour, and at the end, we all look at each other's and sort of smile and go, hey, that was fun. It's good to do things in a group. Yeah, that it is. Whether you participate or just kind of lurk, it is such an amusing thing to be a part of, so I'm very grateful that this thing happens. I feel badly when I miss it, so yeah, I'll try not to. It can be hard to keep it up week after week, but I think the best thing is that we keep it to an hour. Somebody asked me once about making it longer, and I said, look, for some people, an hour a week is a lot of drawing, you know. Mm -hmm. And for me, I draw every day for work and on the weekends for learning, so just taking one hour out is just just enough. Sure. Yours are stunning, by the way. I I always so look forward to seeing yours. Thank you. Well... We like each other's Tuesdays. There we go. Pat each other on the go. back. <laughs> there we go. If oh, Trolls was here, thing. I'm sure he'd make some circle jerk comment. But he's not, so I just did it for him. Yes, thank you. I'm just, I'm just wearing the Trolls hat for two minutes, and now I'm going to put it over there and in the to-be-washed pile, and myself <laughs> as well. <laughs> You're Trolls by proxy. <laughs> Ew. Um, <laughs> Is this a weird role-playing thing? Uh, yeah, it is, isn't it? <laughs> okay. Okay, let's, um... Were we going to do a voice message? We don't want to forget. Oh, yeah, let's do that kind of stuff. Um... <laughs> I'm taking over the business side of the podcast, and I'm just the guest. 
Somebody has to. Okay, yeah. let's do this sort of a thing, shall we? Let's, um... Oh, no. I have to I have to do this thing now where I figure out how to play stuff. I have <laughs> no idea. See, let me see if I can figure this out. Oh, I don't know why this is so difficult every week. I'm not uh, the smart one on our, on our podcast. I just did the talking. Francisco does all the recording and editing and things. Is this working? It's oh, hooray, I think... I think I got it. Okay, good. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's go to this uh, let's go to this five minute voicemail from our dearest of dear friends, Akago, who I'm hoping we can have back on the show again sometime soon. So, Mr. Akago, please allow me to press the play button in your stead. Yo, Squares, this is Amiyuri Akago once again. Just wanted to tell you, loved the show with Francisco last week. Very much enjoyed hearing you guys geek out about awesome soundtracks. Naturally, I wanted to share my two cents on soundtracks that I enjoyed, but when I heard your topic for next week was going to be on weird games, well, I thought of the perfect game to talk about that would cover both bases. Namely, my favorite game of all time, dubbed to Naples 1997 claymation cult classic adventure game, The Neverhood. In case you don't know, it's sorta like Myst, but wackier as you're exploring this vast world made of clay, trying to figure out the story by collecting discs that all have a tiny part of a movie on it that tells you what's going on and what you need to do. And it's all pretty charmingly surreal. No other game that I've ever encountered in all my life has ever captured my imagination quite like this one, for several reasons. Now, Claymation has always had this extremely surreal and almost unnatural feel to me, so to see it employed in a game like this really gives it a unique character, and it's clear they put a ton, hell, make that 3.5 tons of clay and effort into all of the environments, characters, and animations. The world they created for this game is just absolutely stunning to behold, even to this day. It's sort of scary and foreboding with how quiet and empty it is, not to mention floating in a big black void, but full of so many wacky machines and buildings and creatures, so it creates an interesting contrast. And there's so much random wackiness throughout in some of the cutscenes, which have a very kind of pantomime or Mickey Mouse Silly Symphonies feel to it, since the protagonist, Clayman, is completely silent throughout. In fact, he's one of my favorite things about it, because despite the fact that he never says a word, he's got a lot of personality to him. The animation gives him a very naive and innocent feel, like the way he'll curiously look up at something and put his finger to his chin, or just some of the weird idle animations he has. As for the puzzles you encounter throughout, they're a bit out there sometimes, but I feel they make more sense than something like Mist, because there are actually plenty of clues strewn about to help move you along. But of course, what brought it all together for me was the music by Terry Taylor, which very much like the rest of the game was like nothing I'd ever experienced before or since. It has a very jazzy sound to it, with a lot of upbeat horns and acoustic guitar tunes, but also a lot of weird vocals and lyrics, whistling, and odd noises and scatting, so it has a very eccentric feel to it. And pretty much every location has its own tune, so there's a lot of variety overall. There's even one part where you have to tune a radio to a specific frequency to open a door, and every single station you can tune into has its own bizarre little tune or something going on. Like some stations don't even play music, you just hear this freaky robot voice rambling on, or there's one on the soundtrack is called Playing Pool in Outer Space, where you hear someone go, five ball in the corner pocket, and then the sound of pool balls hitting each other echoing into infinity. My favorite out of all of these is Sound Effects Record Number 32, which is basically one long-running gag where a narrator intones things like man reading, woman in outer space, and 
tree falling in the forest. And it would always be followed by an awkward silence. But as I alluded to, it was great how the music would interact with the action on screen during cutscenes. Like one part where Clayman is furiously tugging at this giant nail and the music grows more and more intense the harder he pulls. And later on there's even what amounts to a mech battle with some really catchy battle music. I should probably also mention the sequel, Skull Monkeys, which is kind of an oddball considering A. It came out exclusively on the original PlayStation and B. It's a 2D platformer instead of an adventure game. It's for the latter reason that I didn't enjoy it quite as much as the original game, especially considering it's infuriatingly difficult, but it does still have all the beautiful claymation and more of Terry Taylor's great music. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that the song The Little Bonus Room trumps everything from the Neverhood soundtrack. Look it up if you don't know it, it's hilarious. And there was another game after that called Boombots, which was the third and final game from the Neverhood team, but I've never played it because it's apparently pretty mediocre and has little to no connection to their other games other than including Clayman as a hidden character, but the music from it was featured on Imaginarium, the soundtrack collection that also included the music from the Neverhood and Skull Monkeys, and it's okay. A bit more action-y and techno than the other soundtracks, but still with a touch of Terry Taylor eccentricity. A couple years back, however, Duck to Naple and Terry Taylor once again collaborated on something called Return to the Neverhood, which is kind of a weird storybook that's unrelated to the original game, but has a similar look and themes, and even comes with a half-hour-long soundtrack CD to accompany the story. It's obviously on the short side, but has the same style as the original Neverhood's music and I absolutely adore it. So you can imagine I'm absolutely ecstatic that Doug and Terry yet again came back to collaborate on the new claymation game Army Krog, which I helped fund on Kickstarter and is finally coming out next month, so I'll be receiving a digital copy of the game plus the soundtrack then. What little I've seen of it so far, because I've been trying to keep myself spoiler free, looks great and I can't wait to experience it. Anyway, I've spent enough time rambling yet again, so I'll just say Brian, and even though he's not here, Chris as well, keep being awesome, and remember... <laughs>
That is... I don't know who the animator was. That's It, it totally looks like a cartoon. It's extremely beautiful. Kind of I a think... Dragon's Lair aesthetic, sort of, but it's a 2D platformer. Is that the one Anatoly's been nagging me to play for about a year? I think so. He's probably going to so. tell me off for not having played it yet. It came with a pair of 3D glasses, I think, in the CD oh. case. Mm. Uh, perhaps. That'd be news to me. It is think, like a largely 2D said... animated game. Yeah, I think he said it's just the cutscenes that are 3D. Ah. The, the two cutscenes I think there might be. But anyway, I haven't played it yet because I'm a moron. Well, it's extremely punishing. It's like total muscle memory. You die every two steps, then learn what you were supposed to have done and do that and die two steps later kind of a game. That's I only fair. got like a minute into it. Well, it's... <laughs> I don't know if fair is the word to describe it. It's something. <laughs> but well, uh, okay. it's very beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Good. I yeah. look forward to trying it one year. Yes. Don't judge me, Anatoly. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get told off for that. I just made a confession on your podcast. It's going to get me told off. I'm sorry, yeah. Anatoly. That's okay. Would, would it uh, make you feel any more comfortable if I just told you off now to get it out of the way? Do it. Whip me publicly. You are a filthy duck. That's true. I'm yeah, not going to deny it. That's about the best I've got. I'm sorry. I, just I think take Anatoly's it. probably better. I just take these things on the chin these days. I, whatever. It, it rolls off your back like yeah. water off a duck. Ah, you've got me. Uh, <laughs> I'm realizing now that Neverhood is a game that belonged on this podcast and the last one, as a matter of fact, because that's yeah. totally one of my favorite soundtracks. Mm. Well, I just listened to it uh, when I was on a little uh, road trip a few, like a month ago. Okay. It's so funny. It's so, so funny. It is a brilliant soundtrack. There was it's this... hilarious. There was this period, like, in the mid to late 90s where game aesthetics and soundtracks finally could get, like, this quality where you just got these really immersive experiences and then everything went to low-poly 3D and it all went away again. <laughs> it's, not yeah. quite, it's not quite true, but there was, like, this really golden time of just... just finally, we had amazing quality audio. We had really colorful and amazing graphics and you could get like these these incredibly high quality production values in these games and there's you know i don't know that we've recaptured that yet the only do you know of any other claymation games the only one i can think of is a russian one called tanita a plasticine dream and that was pretty interesting i think i i started playing it just today as a matter of fact but uh, didn't didn't put enough time into it. I don't remember whether Star Control Three has claymation aliens or whether it's puppetry or just oh, stop motion of was, some sort. Was the Quest for Glory VGA remake done with claymation? Oh, it sort of looked like it. As a matter of fact, that's a good point because the kind of like specular highlights mm. gave things this three D sort of a look as if it were something photographed. They did a lot of that, like, stuff with Doom graphics were done with photographs, and um, the funniest ones that I can think of is for Witchhaven, which are this weird mix of all different stuff, and it's it's the most hideous thing you've ever seen. It's hilarious. Is that a, is that a, a dungeon crawler RPG? Um, it's a first-person shooter done in the build engine, but with dungeon crawler kind of like um, sword fighting, it's a bit like a really bad version of Hexen. Oh, okay. It's not the kind of. It's not what I was thinking of. I was trying to think of another claymation game. Um, 
I don't think I've I don't... played a claymation dungeon crawler, but I haven't played enough to sort of be an expert. Richard Goodness would know. He would. There's some game, I'm sure that it was guys made out of clay. My friend Bram, who was on the show previously, uh, played this, and I would watch him play it. It was like a square-by-square, turn-90-degrees-only kind of a dungeon crawler RPG. Uh-huh. And uh, the most noteworthy thing about it was that at the very, very end of the game, after the closing credits, it gives you a recipe for pumpkin muffins. That's a good thing to have a recipe for. I yeah, love it's a good pumpkin thing to kinda... muffins. Oh, I don't like pumpkin. No, Please no, I... Oh, more pumpkin pie for me, dude. It's, you, you can have my slice. I'll eat I'm going to give you a podcast a correction right here. Pumpkin pie Please. is delicious. <laughs> Pumpkin pie <laughs> is my bubble bobble, I guess. Oh. I, I think you might be the only person I've ever met that doesn't like pumpkin pie. Oh, my wife too. We oh, don't, wow. we, don't, we don't dig the big bulbous melon thing, I suppose. Oh. Oh. Well, never mind. No, never there's mind. no law saying until you... Until I become a regent, saying that you have to like pumpkins. Okay. Well, until then, I will continue to uh, give it the stink eye. I was thinking, can I can I totally derail your podcast just for my own self-indulgent purposes? Please. Um, I remember... Now, I'm trying to remember what this was called, because it was a French real-time strategy game, um, and... Oh, what was it called? I can't remember. But I finally got a copy of it. Um, a while ago, it was like Dangerous Lands or something like that. Um, I might have to do a correction of myself after the thing, but I remember like one of the primary resources for this thing was pumpkins. Like you had like steel <laughs> and wood, or so- I can't even remember the resources, so forgive me. But one of the resources was pumpkins, and I was fascinated with the demo for this game when I was a kid. But I was so bad at it, so so bad at it, I just couldn't get it to. I couldn't do anything, and I finally tracked down a copy of it because it's really obscure. I finally tracked down a copy of it. It might be something lands. In um, my mind's eye now, I'm picturing like this gigantic 35 foot pumpkin with like eight peons using pickaxes. <laughs> no, it's not, sanit- it, it's not sanitary. Bringing it back to the pumpkin forge. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and I finally tracked down a copy of this game not that long ago and booted it up on my old PC and started playing it. And it wasn't that I wasn't very good at it as a kid. It's just that the game is impossible to play. It's impossibly mm. hard. So I, I really wish I could remember what it's called. And I'm now curious to know if anybody else remembers this game because I always feel like I'm the only one that ever played it. French games I can't think were... Of a, I can't think of a lot of French uh, uh, real-time strategy games. I can't think of any other real-time strategy games. But French games in the 90s were just hard, full stop. They were all hard. There's not many mm-hmm. easy ones that I've played. Even popular oh. ones like Rayman, the original Rayman, is just infuriatingly difficult. Oh, it is hard. I own... I can't remember what it's called now. You'll probably know it by the description. It's like a... I think it, it was published by Sierra or maybe Dynamics, and it has, like, space conquistadors and, like, all this Aztec imagery. Oh, was it um, Inca? Yeah, it was Inca. That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah, that was an insanely hard game, too. And I had the floppy version instead of the CD version, which I'm sure mm-hmm. took a lot away from the experience. But that was bloody hard. But what a wildly creative, extremely insane game that was. Like Space Conquistadors. Was that a cocktail game? Yes, it was a cocktail mm-hmm. vision game. Mm. 
That was a weird studio in general, wasn't it? Yes, it was. <laughs> but thank goodness for them for doing what they did. I love that there were weird people making weird games because that's like, you know, people in the indie scene now go, oh, you know, we're doing stuff, it's never been done. Bullshit. There were so many weird games in the 90s. And that was like high budget weird too. Which yeah, they, the, that was the best of all things. That was like the I love I love French games because they were just so unique. Like nothing had ever been done. You know, like the the BAT games and the well, anything that Silmarils did. I have no idea how to pronounce their name. Anything they did is both impossible to play and amazingly inspiring. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah. Well, Cocktail Vision for me as well. I I couldn't get into any of their games really. Just they, I found them kind of too like I don't know impenetrable and like obtuse. They're really their own thing. Like Goblins games on the exterior look like normal adventures, but when you play them, you realize they're not really like they're puzzle games, you know, and they're really trial yeah. and error. You just kind of solve it as you go. Did you ever play? Yeah, they Fascination? kind of invent their own logic. Have they I played do. what? Sorry, Fascination. No. Oh, that game is so bad. But it's so ridiculous. It? It's like, um, air quotes, adult um, puzzle-solving game. And I really like how it starts out. It starts out with you like being like a spy thriller with weird lady shapes as like the borders of the screen. It's this most bizarre idea you've ever seen. But it's got like the typical cocktail vision, funny little animations when you're doing things like things pop up. But it's trying to be adult, but like it's the least. It's like the most endearingly quaint attempt at making a, an adult game possible. and But it's got funny little things. My favorite thing is there's a skeleton and he's got like a little bone for his penis. And when you hover the mouse over it, the little hotspot marker just says dick on it. And I'm like, that's funny. <laughs> that's just, uh, straight to the point, isn't it? <laughs> it's just the funniest thing I ever saw because it's a normal skeleton. But they have this one... There's an actual bone down there for his penis, and when you hover over it, they have to point out to look how clever we are. We made a skeleton with a dick. Uh, well, but it's uh, the, the the puzzles in the second half of the game. I never finished it because the puzzles just get impossible. And I remember Richard Cobbett telling me what some of the latter puzzles involve, and it's just unsolvable. So, mm-hmm. God bless Cocktail and their weirdness. Yes, we're better off with them. Yeah. Well, sir, I would like to shall we move things along, and I'll. Uh... This is your podcast. You do what you want. I'm just here. Ah, we're, we're doing what I want. Yes, that's all we're doing. But now we're going to do something else. We're going to talk about games that we have played recently. Oh yeah, Start, good. Starting with you, Mister Dude Guy. Well, I have been playing two games quite a lot recently. One of them is entirely your fault, and I think oh, you good. might know what this is. Because oh. I wrote you an email about it, saying that I just recently installed it, and it's all your fault. It is The Sims 3. And, oh, yes. Oh, I'm uh, so happy to hear that. <laughs> oh, man. The Sims was such a moment in gaming for me, because I remember my friend Dane and I had like gone to a computer store, and we played like demos in the computer store. And I played Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 on one thing, because I love Tony Hawk's Pro Skater games. Um, and Especially he played 2. Yeah, that's such a great... I got the big box copy of it, like, last year or this year, and it was, like, the happiest day in my life. Um, that's the awesomest. Yeah, and he played The Sims demo, like, in the mm. store. 
And um, I remember like, we were kind of chatting afterwards, like we were sitting around and I'm like, I'm like, oh man, I could do like a judo grab 360. It was so great off the half pipe. Oh, you should have seen it. And he was like, oh man, I made the character wash their hands. And I just remember thinking like, is that a <laughs> gameplay thing? He's like, yeah, you could just click the sink and click wash hands and they walk over there and do it and you can just do anything. And I'll, it was like this really big moment for me realizing that it wasn't all about kicking and shooting and judo 360s. Like you could... Mm-hmm. You could. There, it was this really big thing, and um, I remember getting The Sims, and I paid a lot for it because I was excited about it. I paid a lot of money for The Sims. I think games are always overpriced in Australia. Like your sixty dollars games are our eighty dollars games, but I think I paid a hundred dollars for the original Sims, which blows my mind wow. now. But um, you know, I was really, really eager, having read so much about it, and I remember the girl I liked at the time, Madeline, um, borrowed it from me and borrowed it for six months that's how much i liked it i let her borrow my copy of the original sims for six months but yeah it was just this really interesting moment in games when i realized it wasn't all about you know shotguns and that sort of thing but the sims 3 i've been playing a lot recently um mostly because i didn't spend that much time with the sims 3 so there's still stuff left for me to explore even in the vanilla game but also because i've been interested in architecture recently so the Sims is a great playground. It's like a really great computer-assisted design tool for novices like me to figure out like what architecture looks interesting and stuff like that. So that's been really good. It's a great tool for that kind of stuff, isn't it? The, yeah. The building, it, it's a little restrictive, I guess, in terms of what you can only do, like 45-degree angle stuff or something like that, I believe. But yep. that's not, not unlike most architecture, I suppose. That was uh, purportedly Will Wright's favorite feature. Yeah, all was said and done. I believe that was his original intent, wasn't it? To build like an architecture simulation thing. Was that it? I think so. Um, But I remember my brother. I remember my brother built a house in The Sims for a school project and took a screenshot of it from all four angles, printed them out, and took it to school and got top marks. (laughs) Cool. Because it was a really good computer assisted design tool. That's really something. Yeah. So. Um, and the other one that I have been playing, and I only just recently started, and actually, I was playing it just before this podcast, and if I sound tired, it's because I haven't slept much because of this game. Um, it is Pillars of Eternity. Um, mm-hmm. One of the many games I have kickstarted, and probably the most satisfying so far of all the ones I've played. There have been really? a real burst, a real slew of kickstarted RPGs that have been good and this one is good. I've been playing a lot of them recently. Um, Divinity, Original Sin, Wasteland 2, uh, Serpent in the Staglands, all of which have been good, but Pillars of Eternity really recaptures my nostalgia for the Infinity Engine games, which I adore. And Was this by the Baldur's Gate team? Um, not quite. Baldur's Gate was by Bioware um, originally. This is by Obsidian. Oh, this is Obsidian. Oh, yeah. what did Obsidian do? Do they do Knights of the Old Republic? I think they did one of those. They did, like, Neverwinter Nights 2, Mask of the Betrayer. They did Fallout mm-hmm. in Vegas. They did Dungeons Siege 3. They've done a lot of projects that I'm not, like, that are okay. They did uh, Alpha Protocol. Um, done, mm-hmm. uh, Fallout New Vegas is obviously very good. Um, but this is the format that I love the most. This is why I love computer games so much. And... It's interesting because the, there are three series or 
titles within the Infinity Engine range, and that was the Baldur's Gate games, the Icewind Dale games, and Planescape Torment, all of which were very different. Baldur's Gate games were very much about exploration and going where you wanted and, you know, a big story. Icewind Dale was very much about very tightly designed, way less linear, way more linear, but very tightly designed dungeons that are designed to make dungeon crawling very satisfying, lots of combat, lots of traps, lots of, you know, things to discover, whereas Baldur's Gate was more wandering around and doing things at your own pace. And then Planescape Torment was just being really weird and good and telling a a story. And it kind of mixes elements from all three. The dungeons feel really Icewind Dale to me. The companion stuff is really like Baldur's Gate uh, 2 and Planescape Torment. And just you can just walk around exploring areas that have not that much stuff in them, which is great to me. It's just like the original Baldur's Gate. So it doesn't quite recapture the magic of the best of the Infinity Engine games, but it's way more convenient to play. Um, the combat's way, I guess, friendlier. It's not. It's turn-based combat in that engine, isn't it? No, it's real time with pause. Okay. Yeah. Is so, it like real, real time, or is it like a series of turns that have no pause unless you pause them? It's simulated dice rolls, I think. That's how the Infinity Engine did it, anyway. But you know, everybody okay. has like cooldowns, recovery. It's called in Pillars of Eternity. So. It's mm. still kind of turn-based, but it's all done like the action happens as you watch. And then when you want, when you see things that need doing, you pause the game, you issue commands, and then you unpause it and watch them unfold. So it's, okay. a weird, it's a weird system, and a lot of people dislike it because it can be a little overwhelming because it's not turn-based, and it's much more strategic than like an action RPG. There's a lot to take in, but I love it very much. And It's uh, party-based? Uh, combat it is yeah so mm-hmm. i i'm a fair way in i was just taking on a dragon right before this podcast and just failed to beat it by the narrowest of margins so i was a little i was a little you know i've got i've got my agenda set for when i get a bit more experience under my belt i'm going back and i'm going to take it on um but yeah i've been enjoying that a lot and if you're a fan of infinity engine style games which I know some people... Are, they're very popular, so obviously, you know, some of your listeners are probably going to be at least a bit interested in it. It's, sure. it's not the next Baldur's Gate. It's not the next Planescape Torment, but it is very good, and I'm enjoying it a lot. Oh, that's great. How did uh, Obsidian do with uh, managing their time and their funds? How, how were they as a Kickstarter like, uh, uh, implementer? Way, be- way better than any of the Adventure Games <laughs> Kickstarters. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, um, that's really something. Yeah, they, they, I believe they went a bit over time, but I mean, they made a massive role-playing game that lasts longer than any of the. It's weird because the adventure game Kickstarter games have left a lot of fans disappointed, but the role yeah. ones have come out swell. You know, Shadowrun game have been the first one was, yeah, it was it was well done. The second one was great. Wasteland Two was great fun. I sunk like 50 or 60 hours into that. Divinity Original Sin was very cool. Serpent in the Staglands has turned out great. You know, these games have come out and they're just so much fun to play. And then you look at... I mean, I like the first half of Broken Age, but now I'm terrified to play the second half, aren't I? <laughs> oh, you should certainly play it. I mean, uh, take take uh, Francisco's lead on that one anyway, and I guess go into it with the same attitude he had. Mm. 
because he found both of us found lots to enjoy. I'm sure I was overstating it. You should totally play. No, I know a lot of people that were disappointed with it. I mean, a lot. I know. So, um, but yeah, I just I don't know. But I just some of the decisions that have been made around the adventure game things to me, adventure games are the easiest genre to make, other than like platformers. They're not that difficult. I know because I'm involved in there. If you told me to build a role playing game, I'd go. I literally don't have that much time on my hands. So to see like the role playing people doing great and the adventure game people not doing so great just leaves me scratching my head, going, "Isn't that weird?" Yeah. I mean, I guess I guess role playing stuff. Maybe they're more methodical people or something, because that's the sort of game it is. Like maybe it's more. Maybe they're kind of <laughs> spreadsheet inclined sort of people in maybe. general. To, I don't know. I but just al- don't know. Also, Obsidian went from doing like massively complex RPGs anyway to doing a massively complex RPG, so they had the experience necessary. But you would have think sure. for someone like Double Fine going from building something like Brutal Legend, which is massive and yeah, it's a Way big explorable 3D world with, yeah, with RTS stuff, like real-time, oh man, yeah, the, really, I'm I'm really surprised, I'm mm. really surprised that they had so much trouble with their schedule, if nothing else. I think, I think yeah, it was I unique don't, with I, Double Fine, though, because they got like way, they got like ten times more money than they were planning on getting, so they kind of had to rethink everything. Or did they even think about yeah, what they you were doing before what they got the, the original... money? No, they didn't have a design in place. Yeah, so I just don't get it. I would love to see uh, Double Fine do an adventure game for like fifty thousand dollars, though, wouldn't you? Just like a little, <laughs> a little fun, a little fun pixelated point-and-click sort of a thing that's just heavy on writing. I would love that from them. Something simple, even if it was an hour long, I would love that from them. Like if ever there yeah. was a studio that I wished would make a series of like one-hour little vignette kind of games. It would totally be them. I, w- I wish uh, they would make, like... Uh, I wish they would make games similar to, like, your early ones and Francisco's earlier ones. That would be a great format for them, I think. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, well. Oh, well. I love short games. Oh, well. But you love long games, and I'm glad that you had such a good time with this uh, with this RPG. Obsidian, well, I, I... they just did the uh, South Park RPG, didn't they? They did, yes. Yeah, which is a very ambitious and very successful one. Not my favorite one, but uh, I, I did a great job. I think Obsidian have have like a lot of great ideas, but have had trouble with the execution. Whether their products have been rushed in the past, or there's been a lot of bugs. Like Fallout New Vegas was terribly buggy, um, you know. So I think that's been their main problem. But Kickstarter allowed them to sort of bypass that issue a bit. Really. But I, I have to wonder what their Kickstarter budget might have been versus one with the publisher or one with, I don't know. It's a self-published game, I presume, if it's on Kickstarter. Uh, they, it was published by Paradox Interactive. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So I don't, I don't really, uh, I don't know, they don't usually open the books on that kind of stuff and talk about what percentage of the funding came from Kickstarter. I'm not sure whether Paradox gave any money or just did handled the distribution. I honestly couldn't tell you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, so yeah, that's what I've been playing. How about you? Oh, good stuff. Me, I, earlier this week, I I get a little email reminder whenever PC Gamer Magazine is broadcasting something on Twitch, and usually they're playing something like Hearthstone, which is like a card battle 
mm-hmm. collectible card battling game, and I'm not that interested in that. But every now and then they'll feature some little indie studio who's about to put something out, and they give them a little bit of exposure. So there was a little Dutch team, I can't remember what their company is called now, but they put out a game called Luck Slinger. Um, it is a, it's like a 2D action platforming game uh, in the Wild West. You're a cowboy, and you have a pet duck who flies around just kind of for decoration for the most part, but sometimes does little tactile, t- uh, tactical things. But it, there's, there's a good portion of the game where your pet duck is just sitting on your shoulder doing nothing, and I found that very charming. And this whole game is very, very charming. It's a, a pixelated, uh, old-school kind of style graphical uh, game, platforming and cowboy shooting stuff. Um, and uh, because it's called Luck Slinger, it has a lot to do with luck. So every now and then you will you'll uh, kill some bad guys, and a little luck token will drop out of them. And you collect it, and it gives you a little bit more luck. And if you get hit, then you lose a little bit of luck. You also have health, but uh, luck is something that you want to... It's kind of like um, Sonic in his rings, I suppose, where you... Uh, you, you collect a bunch of it, and if you get hit, you lose some of it. Okay. Um, depending on how much luck you have amassed, different uh, things will occur. If you don't have a lot of luck, then if you're jumping on a bunch of platforms, maybe one of the platforms will suddenly sink down, or maybe you'll be walking past a windmill, and one of the blades will fall down, and uh, you have to dodge it. Or if you're feeling lucky, then maybe you'll uh, jump off of a cliff and miss the cliff, but a little thing will appear and appear under you, and you don't die after all. Or someone is shooting at you, and their bullets will turn golden and fly away from you, (laughs) because you're having a lucky day. So, that's kind of an interesting little added thing. It's a pretty challenging... Uh, game, and I'm uh, still kind of finding my way around it, but the thing that charmed me, it is a very funny game in its writing and in its presentation. It has a lot of animations that are unnecessarily uh, uh, funny in it, and they, they just serve no other purpose than to give the game a little bit more color, which was always nice. But what really caught my attention was the soundtrack, which is this sort of like hip-hop cowboy soundtrack a little bit on the electronic-y side, but very kind of... Uh, it's kind of like um, turntablism scratching music, but without a lot of scratching. Although, uh, for at least a couple of the characters, it does the Katamari Damacy sort of a thing, where if someone's talking, then instead of hearing their voice, you hear like a record scratching, and that's sort <laughs> of the approximation of their them talking, so that's really charming. But the music is super, super amazing. Um and that's what struck me immediately when I was watching this game. The uh, developers were uh, in the audience on the stream as well, just uh, chatting. And so I was talking with the developers a little bit and with the uh, musician a little bit. And after like five minutes of watching the game, I said, I'm sorry, I can't watch this anymore. Your game's coming out in three days. I don't want to spoil anything. I'm going to buy it on day one. See you later. So I did that, and I'm very glad that I bought it. I think it's 11 bucks. Uh, it's probably 10 bucks uh, US. We get our pricing in Canadian dollars now on Steam. So I think it was 11 bucks, and I paid an extra 4 bucks for the soundtrack, which I've listened to twice now, and I like it a lot. I'm kind of suspecting that the soundtrack might be mod music, just listening to the way that some sustained instruments are looped. I sort of recognize different cues that suggest that it might be a mod soundtrack. So okay. I sent the musician a tweet, and I haven't heard back yet. I don't know if he's the kind of person that checks his Twitter a lot, but I'm hoping for confirmation of that, because there are some... Uh, synchronization things where, like, the sun will pulse with the beat, or uh, little things will throb with the beat, and I I love that. I didn't even notice it at first. It was my wife who peeked over and pointed it out to me, because I was so busy with the action. It is a challenging game. 
So Luxlinger, that's a really good one. There we go. Um, otherwise, I pulled out my Nintendo emulator. I can't remember which emulator I'm using now. I have like three or four of them. Um, but there are two Nintendo games that I played. One of them is one that I own the cartridge of called Strider. Um, there have been a bunch of Strider games. The first one, I believe, was for Arcade, and there was a remake of the Arcade game for the Genesis slash Mega Drive. The version that was on the Nintendo Entertainment System was different. It was kind of Zelda-like. It was a 2D platformer uh, action game where you have a sword and you go to different areas of the world and gain new abilities and in one area you'll find a key that unlocks a door in another area so there's some backtracking but the combat is pretty good and the scenery is kind of neat and the music is really good it's an engaging game I finished it in about two hours or so because I remember how to beat all the bosses and uh, where things are, stuff like that. It would probably take someone maybe three hours or four hours if they'd never played it before. There are also some techniques that I uh, was very happy to have uh, retained the muscle memory for, like the triangle jump, where you jump into a wall, and then you have to jump in the opposite direction to jump off of the wall. And sometimes you have to do the kind of chimney jump thing, where you keep doing triangle jumps off one wall, the other, and then the first wall, and then the other, to climb oh, yes. the narrow thing. So it, the controls are a little bit finicky, but I know them very, very well. And playing them on my uh, on my Logitech, the same gamepad that you have. I believe, oh yeah, the, because you gave yeah. me advice when I asked about which was best that, to buy. That's a great little gamepad. It's a great gamepad. It's inexpensive, and mm. the thumb pad and the buttons feel just like a regular or like a Super Nintendo to me, pretty much. Which is, in my opinion, like the pinnacle of the digital game pads so it's that's very important to it's me. incredible to me how often people get the d-pad bad on a controller yeah. it's such a such a fundamental thing i hate playing with thumbsticks if i'm playing a platform if i'm playing like an action game a 3d action game i'll always use thumbsticks but if i'm playing a 2d game i want to use the d-pad and i hate 90 percent of the d-pads out there but that's got a great little d-pad on it Oh, yeah, and that's another thing I love about that gamepad is that it has that toggle button that lets you swap, swap the left stick and the thumb pad. Yeah. I love that. So if, even if a game doesn't support it, I'll uh, switch to the, the, the 2D pad. You can trick it. Yes. So that's Strider. And there's one more game that I didn't put enough time into to add it to my list, but it's one that I wanted to... I, I had to give it a try because of how insane the premise is. This is a Nintendo game called Princess Tomato in the Salad Kingdom. <laughs> which is a lovely name. That's and it, a it's, great name. It's basically what you think it is when you hear <laughs> something like this. It's like a... It's a 2D adventure game, I suppose. It's kind of like... First, it's a first-person 2D adventure game. Kind of like Mist, I, I guess I would say. Uh, it's like halfway between like Mist and Scum. Because you have verbs on both sides of your screen, okay. and you can use the verb on different objects, but there's no cursor. It just you use a verb, and then it tells you all the things that you can do that verb on. Um, I haven't gotten very far at all, but I thought I would take this opportunity to just read out the text from the introduction, because that kind of says more about it than I think I could. I'm actually so really excited to hear this, because I love the sound <laughs> of this game. This is exactly... You will not be surprised whatsoever as I read this. Here it goes. Many growing seasons ago, there was a place where vegetables lived happily and in harmony. One day, Minister Pumpkin <laughs> betray, <laughs> betrayed King Broccoli 
He kidnapped Princess Tomato, actually it says kidnapped, <laughs> and stole the turnip emblem. He then <laughs> he took them to his castle in the Zucchini Mountains. Uh-huh. He sent his cruel farmies out to terrorize all the vegetables in the Salad Kingdom. Shortly thereafter, the poor king died from the loss of his beautiful daughter. But he promised you, brave Sir Cucumber, <laughs> the princess's <laughs> hand. Yep, the princess's hand and the kingdom if you bring them back safely. Godspeed, Sir Cucumber. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so, in the first uh, few screens, you uh, you find vegetables in distress, and you have to give them water, and they thank you for that, and they tell you their tale, oh, that's and they so great. Tell you what you have to do next. It's really cute. And there's there's like eggplant guards and there's oh, I don't know I, I haven't gotten very far I put like I put about half an hour into it and then my save game got corrupted so I oh, couldn't resume so I haven't gotten back into it but I want to play this thing because that is the most compelling intro and that's... I have to know whether whether Sir Cucumber gets his tomato. One thing I really like is that they subverted the real high fantasy trope where you have, like, the mountains of Xananop and King Flobberflu and, you know, all these things that you just really don't give a shit about with things mm. like cucumbers and pumpkins. I was reading um, the Wikipedia article for a game called Two Human recently, and I just mm-hmm. was skimming it, and I remember telling my friend about this. I got to the prologue bit, and I read the words... Before the dawn of the Acer, and I went fuck off. I just don't. I just don't <laughs> care. Don't stop. Uh-huh. Stop it. Just be normal. Be like I. I play a lot of high fantasy games and stuff like that. But if you're going to use all these words that I don't give a shit about, you really have to make the the meat of it compelling. Well, and if the very first exposure to it is before the dawn of the weird thing, yeah. then you have all this weird stuff that you're going to have to kind of wrap your head around before like, you I don't, even start. I don't give a shit about the dawn of the Aesir, let alone what came before <laughs> it. So, yeah. The Mario games also used uh, stuff like this for uh, their levels. Because they had, like, the Mushroom Kingdom, yeah. and, uh, like, I'm thinking of Super Mario World, they had, like, the chocolate, or the vanilla hills and the chocolate prairies or stuff like that. Shit you can relate to. Yeah. One thing... Why not? When you were mentioning, um, when you told me about the topic, I was thinking about weird games, and it made me kind of remember how surreal games are and how much we take for granted mario always seemed like such a weird thing to me you play as a plumber that slides down pipes eating mushrooms to get jumping on bad mushrooms and stuff like you pick up a flower to make yourself shoot fireballs you Mm -hmm. get a tanuki or raccoon whatever it is suit to make you fly of all the animals of all of the flying animals they could have picked to make Mario fly. Why did they pick a mammal that doesn't fly? A, a raccoon. I know. Of all the things that shoot fire that they could have given him, why a flower? Well, have you? are you aware of the uh, origin of the Mario universe? I have n- I'm not a Nintendo guy. Okay, so the designer of the Mario universe, uh, Shigeru Miyamoto is his name. He was, mm-hmm. I believe he was originally an artist and an animator, but uh, he became a programmer and designer as well. He was asked to make a game for the new upcoming Nintendo Entertainment System. I guess it was in like 81 or 82 or so. Um, He, for inspiration, thought back to his childhood where he would play in like the forest and in the gardens and stuff like that. He sat in his garden and he saw 
turtles and mushrooms and flowers and grass and his just kind of did a whole bunch of brainstorming and let his mind run wild and he thought he tried as hard as he could to kind of recapture his own feeling of being like a seven-year-old boy playing hmm. around in the forest and what was he thinking about and what would he daydream about and what were his fantasies and that's was uh, the Mario games were sort of that come to life. So he wanted to be a plumber when he grew up. I guess. Well, the <laughs> the plumber... I don't know why he's a plumber. I don't know why he's a plumber. I don't know. It always so, just struck me as a vaguely hallucinogenic experience. It is. Mm-hmm. But knowing Miyamoto himself, I don't think he's like that. I don't, I, I don't think he's like a hippie kind of guy or anything. <laughs> I think he's just very imaginative and youthful and playful. And kind of a, a, a guy. The fun like thing a, is, an old kid. The fun thing to me is that we just readily accept, like we readily accept that when you pick up a mushroom, you get bigger. We know that's what you happen. If you see a turtle in a game, you know you got to jump on top of it. Mm-hmm. Just, it's weird how those rules are built into our instincts now. You don't even think about it. It is. It's like a very Lewis Carroll sort of a thing that you just accept. Whereas in Lewis Carroll's like Alice in Wonderland, everything is astonishing to her. But to us, the player, it's all normal. We just kind of roll with it. Did you ever play American McGee's Alice? Yes. That's a weird game. That's a super weird game. I think it might have been in my last episode that I talked about it for a minute, saying that I wish it was a, I wish it was an adventure game and not an action game that I wasn't very good at. It, but that was a very imaginative game. It was very imaginative, and it was. All right, I guess. But there were some really surreal bits. I remember being chased by a giant something at one point. You had to, like, run away from a big rabbit or some weird shit like that. And I went, hmm. (laughs) I'm remembering humongous... In this one area, it's like a gigantic... Like a garden swamp sort of a thing. And you have to ride on these huge leaf boats and escape from huge... Bees that try to sting you with their gigantic. That sounds fingers. like every nine, like late nineties, early noughties, three D platformer ever. Oh, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> it really. If it wasn't for the presentation and the odd scene, that was really strange. Oh, one thing that game did super cool. I forget if I mentioned this last week. I apologize if I did. But it had these like doorways with that were just full of like a galaxy of stars, sort mm-hmm. of, and. I think you would look at them from one end and it would be this like bottomless abyss and you look at it from behind and it would just you'd see through it as if it were just a frame with nothing in it. And Very you could cool. walk into them and they would take you to another area. I don't know. It had it had some really cool stuff. It was kind of disjointed and kind of disorganized and I never finished it. I sort of wish I did just to see the sights. I'll probably watch it on YouTube sometime. There's a good but, option. Uh, that was that was a cool game. Yeah. Right. It was it was interesting how a fairy tale really a really messed up fairy tale like that translates so easily and happily to game design because we're so used to just dealing with that stuff in in everyday gaming. It is, but if I were to think of a game based on Alice's adventures in Wonderland, I wouldn't think of Alice running around with a big knife. No, it doesn't really make sense. They did a game after that called Evil Twin. Was it them that did the game Evil Twin? I haven't heard of that. Oh, I always wanted to play it, but never did. There were so I many... Bet- games and then in that era that I was like yeah I'm going to play that and never got around to I'm kind of fascinated with American McGee's games because they're all like good but not great I played a game of his called Scrapland I Um, played the demo for that yeah did you play that where you're like this innocent little robot I'm trying to remember exactly it was very beautiful everything was really Mm. shiny and like magical man that one really 
That one really slipped off the radar. I'd forgotten about that completely. It sure did. It's kind of a shame, because it had a lot of cool stuff going for it, but not quite enough, I guess, to hold it together. It was sort of like a 3D... It was kind of like Mario 64 meets like Metroidvania, where you have to collect certain items to unlock certain areas. But it had this... What I seem to remember about it was that you were this very naive, happy-go-lucky kind of a robot who accidentally, like, kills lots and lots of other robots and does all this awful stuff, but you have this really cheerful attitude about it that you don't think anything wrong is happening. It was kind of funny. Sort of dichotomy of, of, of innocent and horrible. It was a funny kind of juxtaposition. That's cute. Yeah. Mm. American, oh, well. like, American McGee, I always really wanted to play Bad Day LA, and then the reviews of it were so terrible, I just couldn't bring myself to try it. Oh, I think I I think I pirated that and played it for like 90 seconds and turned it off cuz it was just hit, it was like the the engine was repulsive to look at. It was really chintzy cheap 3D stuff with stuff like objects clipping through the scenery and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then in like the first 30 seconds there's like all this ignorant racist stuff that's just being said for effect just to kind of establish what a horrible place you're in. But I don't really want to spend my spare time subjecting myself to that kind of stuff, so I really couldn't be bothered. That game flopped, and I'm sure it was for a very good reason. Shock value with no real textural substance is worthless. That's right. American McGee was, uh, I think he was fired from id. Okay. He was a level designer in Doom 2. And supposedly a pretty good one, just not with a very strong work ethic. He also uh, worked on... Master of Doom is to be believed. He worked on Quake... For some extent of it. Oh, so maybe I'm getting my timeline... I'm not sure. I think you're right. I think you're right. Mm, But I remember, I think it was John Romero, maybe, talking about how they changed certain things in the art style because American wasn't very happy with it. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, hmm. Yeah. Well, Well. all this being said, why don't we, at long last... (laughs) <laughs> traips, uh, traips along to our main topic, which is, of course, weird games. We have we've kind of about a whole cover- bunch of them. Yeah, we've already kind of started covering them, so let's let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. I I love weird games. I love weirdness. If yeah. I'm gonna fantasize about stuff, I want to go all out. I've noticed, like, that was why I recently asked you if you'd played uh, jazz punk because I thought, oh man, Brian would love jazz punk. <laughs> so I have. Thank you again, by the way, for buying that for me. That was totally, totally my kind of humor. I know. I have a whole bunch of games on my list here with various notes about them, and then I have Jazz Punk, and the only note that I wrote is, um. (laughs) (laughs) I I have, um, I've got a few notes. I don't have many notes, but one one of mine is just Richard Goodness Trilogy, so fucked up. That's all I've got. That's all I can say about it. But everybody should play it because it's like five minutes long and it's very subversive of video games as a medium and it's so fucked up. Richard Goodness Trilogy. Mm. It's a twine game and it subverts some interesting ideas about... But I will say this, it's very... It's very explicit in its depiction of events in a very odd way. If you're not... If you're... You know, if violence and that sort of thing isn't your thing, then maybe stay away. But it's all text, so, you know. I played two of his games. One of them was Zest. <laughs> that was a neat one. That's one where you're, like, you're, like, addicted to... It's You're addicted to smoking lemon zest. And the so that's lemon me. zest is, like... 
it's very clearly a, a just a replacement for marijuana, but like you you have to smoke. You have to. It's it's that's a verb. You zest. Mm-hmm. You're addicted to zesting, <laughs> so you have to zest to get through your day. And you have to like be high enough, but not too high on zest to make it through your day. But if you're not high enough, and you're you get depressed, and you just can't bear to go on, and you need to balance out how high you are, how much money you have, and like how clean you are. So you have to wash yourself every now and then. There's only a certain number of turns that you get every day, and you have to. It's like a, a daytime life life simulator. It's kind of like Jones in the Fast Lane for like a uh-huh. mini burnout. Yeah, it kind of reminds me a bit of uh, Cart Life by Richard yeah. Hofmeier. So. Yes. And the other yeah. game I played of his, I don't remember now, and it was something about being like a a serial killer who wants to kill people at random. Hmm. And it has a very odd internal dialogue. It's very very dark, and it has a lot of funny stuff in it. Yeah, Richard Goodness and, trilogy is dark. I I would love to play that. Well, it's like a guilty pleasure to, <laughs> to play his stuff. I really do yeah. enjoy his writing style. He's a great writer. He's a smart guy. Yeah, I think. He he's very self-aware. You know, if you trust mm-hmm. him to be very self-aware with his writing, then you'll enjoy his games. If you just play it expecting a straightforward experience, sorry. No, he'll he'll take you places you're not comfortable being, and that's he'll, true. He'll make you very aware of what it's like to be stuck where you're stuck. Yeah, one thing but, that made me laugh in Richard Goodness trilogy. It's a very simple thing with you know. Um, you could, I think it was his first game, is that there's a getting fucked up simulator, and it's it's literally just about getting fucked up. And all it does is add extra exclamation marks to everything. <laughs> <laughs> he finds really interesting ways to uh, augment the Twine engine. Yeah. He and He's had help from other programmers and yeah. artists and stuff as well, but it's all like different ways of displaying text, different typefaces, and, like, the the text kind of coming in character by character. A lot of stuff that Twine doesn't do by default, which is really impressive, and it adds a lot. It's great to have a little bit of multimedia in a text game. I love little touches like that. I love changing fonts subtly Mm -hmm. for things. Just just little things that all... Every little tiny detail adds up. Me too. So there's one set of weird games. Yes. Um, how would you like to do this? We could either alternate, or I could allow you to exhaust your your list because I do not want to uh, squander this wonderful opportunity to have you with me. I I think we could alternate. We've got plenty. We've got plenty. Okay, why don't we alternate? Yeah. Okay, cool. I have at the top of my list. I keep talking about Twitch today. This is a game I believe was funded in part by Twitch, and this is a fascinating concept. I think this is a game called Choice Chamber. And it only just came out right now. I do do my best to talk about retro stuff, but this is just such an interesting concept that I had to bring it up. Um, It's a game designed specifically to be played by one person and to be watched by many people. Um, It's also like an action platformer 2D sort of a game where you're vanquishing enemies in a big room and then you clear out the room and then you can go to the next room. Um, and you get power-ups and stuff like that. It's like nothing you haven't really seen before in that respect, except every now and then on the right-hand side of the screen, there will be a list of options. It will say, should level, should the level be bigger or smaller? Or what weapon should appear? A shotgun or a bow and arrow? Or uh, what should be added to the room? Spikes or flames or pits? And this is an invitation for everyone in the chat room who's watching the video, the, the stream live, to type out 
spikes or flames or bow and arrow or smaller. They type in whatever words appear in the votes, and then it tallies up the votes, and that stuff gets spawned into the experience. Mm. And so it's very much like the person playing the game and streaming versus their audience who is kind of trying to make things as inconvenient as possible and to kill the the person playing. It's kind of like... really fascinating idea. It's like Dungeon Master by committee almost, by the sounds of it. Yeah. Oh, that's a terrific way to put it. Good. So, yeah, that's, that's as much that's, as I have to say about it. Yeah, it's that's, cool, though. I think that's a really interesting concept of having, like, a whole... You can imagine, like, teams of people voting against each other, like, and seeing seeing what wins out and obviously there's going to be points where there's going to be unanimous votes and stuff like that but uh, that's an interesting concept it is it's kind of I think it must have been inspired to some degree by um, let's I think it was an initiative called let's play Pokemon or something Twitch plays Pokemon Twitch plays Pokemon that's right which is where everyone would type in up or down or select That's or B. so ridiculous, but I love <laughs> the... 35,000 people would be typing in at the same time. <laughs> it was so chaotic. And then there was a, an even stranger one. Had you heard about this one? It was called Fish Plays Pokemon. No. <laughs> oh, no. I thought this was utterly brilliant. So somebody... It's the same sort of a thing where you have Pokemon for Game Boy being controlled uh, like arbitrarily, sort of. But the controller was that someone had a pet goldfish in a bowl, and they aimed their webcam at the goldfish bowl, and they separated the uh, the view into like quadrants right. or into like different squares. Oh, and depending like a... on where the fish was, yeah. it would either go up or down, or press B or press A or press select. And so this fish that was just swimming around <laughs> was controlling, unbeknownst to the fishy, <laughs> the character playing Pokemon. It was so funny. It's like a Dance it Dance a Revolution pad controller thing. It was. It was oh. so meta. It was this like philosophically <laughs> profound kind of a thing where you're kind of wondering, is somebody doing this to me? Are my actions affecting something that I don't even realize? You're getting into Boy, was that you're awesome. getting into a topic I'm not at all prepared to discuss. I can't deal with that. This I haven't stepped up in fighting dragons. Don't make don't drag me into philosophy. <laughs> okay, good. I'm I'm okay then too. Well let's let's move it along to your next choice then. I I have to admit I am very close to the indie game scene and to the AGS scene of course. So I'd be very much um remiss if I didn't mention a couple of AGS games. One of them I gotta mention because the circumstances around this is just so hilarious. There's a series um of games called Barn Runner. Uh, by a guy called Ponch and I've talked about these before they're such great games and not many people have played them Um, easily my favourite Barn Runner games are the Forever Friday Barn Runner 5 uh, games and this was the chapter 1 of the Barn Runner I can't even remember his chapter telling it's Barn Runner 5 Forever Friday chapter 1 Something like that. Um, And I was playing away this adventure game, and my brother just happened to be visiting me. Um, I was just playing away, and the game kind of switched into, like, this 25-minute-long dream sequence in which the main character has, like, this... gets... has this naked tricycle cycle out of the city into freedom where he encounters his boss... And it was just, like, this incredibly surreal experience. And my brother just, like, happened to walk in right at the moment where this 
incredibly buff main character is naked riding his tricycle through the streets of the city and out into the wilderness to have this conversation with his boss. And he just cracked it, like, just of all the moments he could have walked in of me playing a game, it had to be this bit. And we're just sitting there just cracking up laughing at this crazy thing. But I will say this, the whole Barn Runner series and the games, they're like adventure games with fun um, puzzles and that sort of thing and ridiculous pop culture references. It, it's it's really silly and and references 70s and 80s science fiction stuff a lot. Um, and and there's very difficult mini games, but they're so worth playing. I think you would definitely like them, Brian. Um, at least try Barn Runner 5 because... Barn Runner 5 chapters 1, 2, and 3 because they are so good. I really, really like them. They're so silly. They're so funny. And there's a naked tricycle dream sequence that you can have people... <laughs> it sounds fantastic. It, it was, it's so good. It, Ponch is such a creative writer and there's a lot of humor and a lot of innuendo and everything that I like about 90s adventure game writing is in Barn Runner. Oh, so. that's, a good, that's a good statement. So... There's a lot of great... There's a lot of that kind of spirit in the AGS community, it seems. Yeah, because it's people still figuring out how to make games. They're not trying to meet projections. They're not trying to meet targets. You're just making a game for the pure joy of making a game, which is... Oh, magic. you've reminded me by saying that, by the way. Uh, you've reminded me of... I play, You played this too, I think. I uh, spoke with someone in the AGS community, some lady who had made like a, a one-room... A one-room adventure game where you are a cat, oh, yes. and it's about a cat dreaming. Yeah, um, is it called Night Eyes? Uh, yes, I believe so. And oh, it had the cutest, uh, the cutest verb icons. Like it had a little paw and yeah. like a little whiskery nose and stuff like that. And that was adorable. I... And it was like a, it was like a three-minute game. It's the shortest. It's about a cat dreaming. So, like, what a cool concept. What's their name? I know I nagged them to release it more publicly and spread it around, but she didn't do it yet. I don't think. Yeah, I complimented her profusely on this one. That was such a great and lovely, lovely graphics. It's such a simple game. Like the shortest little thing. Like if you're on a, a coffee break. Um, and you want something really small and really cute to play that it's not going to make you think about much. It's not going to. It's no huge epic tale or anything like that. But it's it's someone figuring out how to make games. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm. Fr- well, that's a that's a brilliant. I'm thing. frustrated that I can't remember who did it because I know who they are. But anyway, I know me too. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes if I can. Very good. Uh, but yeah, what did you say it was called? Night Eyes, I believe. Night Eyes. I do believe you're correct. I do try to be. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Saves on the corrections. Yes. Anyway, shall you? Oh, I want. I want to. I want to prop. Uh, while we're talking about the AGS stuff, I want to prop uh, Francisco's Backdoor Man. Yeah, that's a great game. That is a really great little game. I'd go so far yeah. as to say that that's my favorite of the things that he's made, just because it does stuff that you don't see done a lot. It's just short and concise. It's like very dense with like profoundly interesting, impactful stuff that like is meaningful. Yeah. It's not, oh, and of course, not, there's the old lady in the bed. Yeah, there's a naked old lady with flappy boobs having a seizure, and she does a lot of flapping. Yeah, she got flappy. And I think the thing I like most about that is it's not trying to tell like a big epic story like he was with Ben Jordan. He was just mm-hmm. telling like this is 
people's lives. And that, to me, was the most interesting thing. Like, that's really... To, for me, I'm very sympathetic to people's lives. When I was playing Dragon Age Origins, I loved the bit where I'm finding about my life and, like, living someone's life. And then when it got into the big epic quest, I just lost interest completely. I just don't give a shit about saving the world. I just want to know about people. Yeah, that's true. So. I think I probably picked the wrong uh, the wrong race for that game, which totally turned me off. I uh, chose the elf race, which had a really boring, very generic fantasy intro, and I didn't give two craps about, and then I gave up on it. I played... I never picked it up again. I played as a female city elf the second time around, and it's got this great story about... Um, Oh, I was the nature elf or whatever, the wood elf. Oh, yeah, I picked a city elf and you've got this great story where you're like a bride in an arranged marriage and you do not want, like, you can choose to not want to be in there at all. And I had such a great, such a great time, like, just, like, cutting people down in my wedding dress, like, just running around, just, like, <laughs> just, there's, there's this great picture of, like, concept art or promo art or something like that where it's got, like, this elven bride in, like, this bloody wedding dress holding wedding dress holding a dagger and her face is furious i love that picture so much because i was like i was like dude no one tells me who to marry like i can totally relate to this you don't tell me who to marry i'll cut everybody down so i that you i think the origin story is probably vary but that's one of my favorite moments in any role-playing game ever and i was really sad when i had to go into a shit like not shit, but just didn't interest me. Main quests about the fate of the world and blah, blah, the war with the blah, 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 blah. Who cares? Yeah, well, didn't that basically amount to a game about vanquishing all the zombies? Uh, I don't know. I, I think it did. I just got... I, to, I just... I never finished it. I've tried it twice, and I don't know if I'll ever finish it, because I just got into who cares mode, you know? I don't care yeah. about the dreamers, and I don't care about the chantry, and I don't care about anything... I cared about having a cool dog that was cute and interesting people, but the main story mm-hmm. did nothing for me. That's a shame. I, I do my best to start reading and continue reading everything or listening to everything throughout a role-playing game if I can. And if I stop that's caring halfway through, that's like the kiss of death. That's a lot to get through. Mm-hmm. They're so wordy. Well, yeah, Bioware is very wordy. Yeah. Yep. Uh, whose turn is it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to go. Go. All right. I The next on my list I've chosen is a game called Quandaries. This is an awesome game. It is an educational game made by the ethics team from the Department of Justice, the U.S. Department of Justice. Wow. Um, this is a training game for staff to teach them about like ethical quandaries that they might come across in their line of duty okay. as either like office workers or IT workers or uh, or like agents that have to deal with the public. It's so fascinating. This is a it's like freely available now. I'll totally put this in the show notes. Um, it is it's got like beautiful digital photography in like 320 by 200 resolution. It's a DOS game. Mm-hmm. It's totally a game. Um you start off as, like, it's the day in the life of an ordinary office worker, and somebody will come up to you and say, uh, they'll say, oh, I just want to thank you so much for uh, helping me out with uh, all of uh, all of the stuff that you've helped me out with lately. I want to give you this uh, present. It's like a $40 ticket to go see the theater or something. And it, it gives you four options of what you can say. And you can say, oh, thank you very much. Or you can say, oh, uh, thank you, but I can't accept this. Or you can say, uh, 
you'll have to give it to my boss and uh, have him check it out. Or you can say, like, oh, it's two tickets. Give me one ticket now, and then you can give me the other ticket in six months because I'm only allowed to accept this much in whatever. So you can choose whatever you want, and it will tell you whether your answer is in line with the U.S. Department of Justice ethics handbook. Interesting. Which specifically dictates what you are or are not permitted to do ethically ethically what am I saying ethically <laughs> in various scenarios so there's other ones and it's um a great example of an ed- educational game that encourages you to fail because it's either amusing or it's educational or both oh there's a great quote about that i think it's by marshall McLuhan who says anyone who anyone who doesn't understand anyone who thinks that Education and entertainment are different, understands neither. Something like That's that. That's an interesting I, idea. Oh, it's a great quote. Hmm. And he, he's a longtime uh, professor himself, so he knows what he's talking about. So it's a fantastic example of an educational simulation that, it, yeah, it encourages you to fail just so that you can learn from your mistakes or you can try things out that you wouldn't do or that you oughtn't do in the line of duty or in, in, in your job. That's... So it's all about like doing people favors or accepting favors mm. or... Uh, handling someone obnoxious in a certain way. Um, and it's all about these like little philosophical, ethical things that are supposed to be like a little slice of life from scenarios that have actually happened to people in various jobs at the Department of Justice. You know so what? You start off, I think... Oh, go ahead. You know what that reminds me of? It's like how they train astronauts and pilots in like simulators so that they can crash land without killing yeah. everybody. Except in, in this, it's not crash landing. It's whether you can take a box of chocolates. It, it basically is, yeah, because in those things, like, you'll have an instructor that will press a button that simulates an equipment failure. Yeah, and you have to make up like for, that. like, the radars going off or whatever they do. Exactly. That's a very good analogy, that's, as a matter of fact. That's so cute. But except it's a, <laughs> it's a moral compass. That's really... It is. So the strangest thing of all about this game, I think you get... I think there's, like, three stages you can choose... You you can choose any of three different jobs, but by the time you uh, go to the next area or like to the next chapter or whatever, you've already done all three. You can just choose which one you want to do first. Uh-huh. I think there's nine different jobs that you get to try out. the The strangest thing about this game is that it's fun, despite this insane <laughs> description that I'm that I'm giving. It's fun. It's well done. There's actually like a little bit of I'm not going to say a story. There's no continuity or anything, but there will be like little conversations between you and someone else, where it'll tell you a little bit about this person that you know and how you know how you know them. So it's like unnecessarily fun, and it's just a amazingly awesome way to teach a very complicated thing with like serious ramifications and uh, and serious like penalties for getting it wrong. But it's a great way to teach it and to encourage you to see what happens in different scenarios. Yeah, that's really cute. I like that a lot. Super cool. So I think it's very inspiring in terms of the possibilities of an educational game, and like it doesn't. Educational games don't have to be for children. This is for like working grown-up professionals. Excellent. I I wish we could see more of that in in life. Yeah. Yeah. So I do. I do encourage everyone to try it out. That's just an awesome, fun game. Very cool. I like the sound of that. I love games that do that sort of thing. And yeah, you wonder. I. I have had people talk to me about like gamifying training stuff, um, but I just, mm-hmm. I just, yeah, I, I'm so wrapped up in what I'm doing now. I love what I do now, and I just said, look, I'm sorry, but I'm not interested. But I mean, I'm sure there's a big space for that sort of thing 
in workplace training. I think you said the magic word there too. Like whatever you're trying to train someone about, you have to love that yeah. in order to make a decent game about it. Yeah. If you love it, then you can make other people love it. Because like I love I would love working for the the DOJ based on this, <laughs> these stupid little scenarios. It makes you like re- it makes, really makes it like a, an inviting fun place to be based on how much fun the person who created this obviously mm. had. Like they they clearly respect their workplace for a reason. That's like my copy of Theme Hospital has like the, the the original owner was a doctor, which makes me really worried because anybody who's played Theme Hospital <laughs> knows that that is a very, very bad indicator of correct medical practice. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, that's a great game. That's a very surreal game. I love that game. Oh, man, that's so it's, cute. It's so funny. Oh, I, I love... I love all the maladies, the squits. Oh man, the, I like, love the inflated head. I just, I love the the slack. They get the tongue and they slice it off. Like that's the solution. Oh, do they slice it or do they like stretch it and it goes? Oh, it's a slicer. It's, a isn't tongue, it? it's called a slicer. Yeah, they just chunk. Yeah, I, <laughs> I like the in, inflated head piercer. Yeah, the boop, and then they reinflate it. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I, I should. I guess I should mention another one. I'm gonna. Skip the AGS one that I was going to mention because I'll come back to this next because I'm just going to do a really short one that I played maybe a month or two ago called Stick Shift in which you play as a man that masturbates a car to orgasm by changing through the gears and stroking the gear stick. Uh, oh. That's all I got to wow. say about that. That's wow. So, and I, if I remember correctly, when you when you succeed, it shows like the guy like resting up again and he makes the most hilarious facial expressions you ever saw and like lights come out of his eyes like glowing as the car revs up into orgasm and you get it's like the the campus but most endearing thing you ever saw but it gets to the end and if i remember correctly he's like just resting kind of like satisfied against the bumper of the car the rear bumper of the car and there's like some liquid dripping from the exhaust pipe. <laughs> oh, man. This is just so wrong and bio- biologically kind of quizzical. Yeah, so there's a game I, for you. <laughs> I could, I could have talked about so many interesting and weird games from the 90s, but I just, went to, I just chose to go with a game in which you masturbate a car to orgasm. Well, that's good. I'm hmm. glad you did. Your turn. <laughs> Follow that. Oh, how, how am I going to top that? Okay, I, I know how I'm going to top this one. It's going to be uh, a game that, despite your ire for this individual, is a game that I know you enjoyed, and that would be uh, Fahrenheit, also known as Indigo Prophecy, <laughs> by the venerable David Cage. <laughs> I, I'm not incorrect I to don't... say that you liked this game. I, I hope. How, how do I describe my relationship with David Cage? I think David Cage has got some great <laughs> ideas. It's just a shame that to get to the great ideas, you just have to wade through the mountains of shit. <laughs> David Cage is like a gourmet... He's like a gourmet... Uh, uh, a gourmet supermarket full of incredible uh, ingredients... And he, like, buys a whole bunch of those ingredients at random and, like, throws them into a casserole dish mm. and throws them into the oven for four years. Mm. And it comes out of this, like, charred piece of shit. Yeah, you can but see... But these little elements of wonderful stuff in there. Yeah, you can see that it's, like, a snail casserole, but there's, like, a little bit of saffron <laughs> sprinkled on top. And you're like, oh, man, this could have been great if it was a completely different game. Yes. Mm. But I will say this. 
I love David Cage's first game, Omicron the Nomad Soul. Well, I should say Quantic Dream, because he didn't just sit at home and make it. I love right. the very first game, which is probably their weirdest. Um, it's really weird, bizarre sci-fi that no one gives a shit about. Uh, no one plays it anymore. It's so weird. It's got an awkward sex scene, which is pretty much his signature trademark these days. Um, no kidding. And I own this one from GOG. I yeah, haven't put enough time into it's it. It's so weird, and the shooting segments are so bad, and the Kung Fu, like, Street Fighter segments are... I can't believe I just said Kung Fu. What is this, 1992? Man, I am retro. <laughs> um, and, like, the fighting segments are just tiresome. But it had some really great ideas. How do I talk about... It's kind of like a metaverse kind of a game. <laughs> yeah, you you're just, walking around in this... It was the very first time... It was before GTA 3. It was the very first time I walked around a 3D city. And it was mind-blowing to me that you could just, like, go into an apartment. Like, go into a supermarket yeah. and buy a can of, like, food for coopies or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. But Indigo Prophecy... I'll say this. I enjoyed the story of Indigo Prophecy way, 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 way more than the story of Heavy Rain. Because Heavy Rain thinks it's a good story, and Indigo Prophecy mm. knows that it's just ridiculous and just runs with it. I hope it knows. It like it takes itself kind of seriously, but then like totally crazy baloney happens all the time. Eventually, it starts off so strong. Mm. The f- opening, the, the those first are demos ten that I minutes, played, yeah, the first five it minutes convinced me to buy it. Mm. I played the de- yeah, the first ten minutes. You can play it like eight different ways, mm. and it's like a mature like it, you know, it's going to turn into this sort of like a police procedural <laughs> kind of a murder mystery thing where you can you you start off as what's his name Lucas is the protagonist. Mm. You start off and like you through some kind of supernatural hoo ha, you kill some random man in the bathroom of a and then the con- then you take control and you're like, oh, what have I done? And you can decide how you want to go about the situation. Do you want to just run for your life and uh, and uh, get away from there as fast as possible before you're arrested? Or do you want to methodically put the body away somewhere and clean up and then come out and compose yourself? You can like sit back down in the diner if you want to and finish your food and you can converse with people. It's There's all these little variables that that have small impacts on the story later on and on your like and, mood like your depression and stuff like that oh yeah that's weird instead mm. of a life bar in this ga- oh no i guess there you, you have like lives or well you can or fail else. at annoying quick time shit and this whole game is annoying quick time shit well this is much. this is david cage's thing now it's annoying quick time shit that's how we this is the only game of his that i've really put much time into because i don't i didn't own the consoles that where he released his uh later games mm. But um, this is way better than Heavy Rain, just because it doesn't. The story doesn't try and play itself as a serious police procedural, whereas Heavy Rain kind of does. Which uh, his writing is not good for a serious police procedural. It is not good at all. His writing is fine for a completely batshit, weird science fiction, indigo child, weird shit thing, because it because it looks like he's trying to be incoherent. Well, I just, just is. I just for me the plot held together just by the fact that it just went completely batshit and just stayed that way. Whereas Heavy Rain played itself seriously the entire time and then you get to the end of this one, oh no, that's not what happened at all. None of that mattered. So, that's not what David Cage Oh, that's the worst. That's not what he talked about. Oh, it was all a dream kind of a thing. I hate that shit. It wasn't quite like that, but just enormous sections of build-up get completely ignored and discarded and never explained and none of that matter. It's basically misdirection 
with no actual meat to it. Just like, haha, no, I was disrespectful of your audience's time. Yeah, it's not respectful to the player's intelligence. You know, if you That's if it. you can't mislead a player without lying blatantly to them, then you're not the right writer for that sort of a genre. That's well, I'm. What kind of a writer is this guy? Let's. An idiot. I'm trying my best now. I haven't. <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> I haven't played this game in a while now. Even though I bought the remastered version recently, oh. which I played ten minutes of and yeah. pick it up again. David Cage but, is really. He just throws as many elements at the wall as possible. You've got an annoying totally. military flashback that's impossible to have fun in. You've got. A weird tarot card segment that turns into an apartment disassembling itself. Mm-hmm. You've got a weird raven woman. You've got a bit where you fuck a zombie. You've got just... You've got the internet. The internet is like some guy who doesn't like you. It's just... It's just... I don't know. I liked it at the time, but I liked it knowing that it was badly written. And it's very video gamey. It's like oh yeah, and it tries to be the Matrix too. There's a whole segment that's like, ripped from a Matrix film. Yeah, that highway. It's like if if a space alien played came to Earth and played nothing but like arcade games, and like read one book or something, and then went back to space, and then came back and designed a game based on what they thought Earthling video games were, they would make Indigo Prophecy. Yeah, it's 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 just this mishmash of things that do not really belong together. It, but to your point about Omicron, I really loved the analog joystick controls or like the analog gamepad controls and the fact that you can go and like pour yourself a glass of milk and you do it gradually based on how much you're tilting your analog stick to the side oh, or like really? opening a cabinet. I know. You can like open your cabinet halfway and then you can let go of your stick and you're like, oh, I'm not going to open the cabinet after all. You can kind of wiggle it a little bit halfway, back forth, back forth. I never played and, like, Omicron like cabinet. that. That's cool. Oh no, that's uh, indigo. Oh right, right. Like yeah, that, I mean. heavy rain is the same. Like you have to manually swipe everything. And a guy, um, and uh, from the AGS forums, made this really interesting point. Like at the start of heavy rain, you have to do all like these generic everyday chores. Like there's a, you know, you're putting out the plates for dinner for your wife, mm-hmm. and she's like, "Be careful, don't break the plates." Like she's talking to like a two-year-old kid, but you're like a grown professional man, and she doesn't trust you to put the fucking plates down. And because the controls are so finicky, you end up like maybe smashing the plates, and you like you're playing as like this incompetent idiot who can't even set right. the plates out for dinner just because of this control mechanism that's been shoehorned into the story. Well, this is true. You, you wouldn't. You're you're not there. I mean, you're there, but you're not yeah. there. It's like. Uh, I don't know. It's like it's like you're this oven mitt sock puppet of a guy, yeah. kind of, and you can't quite control it's, yourself properly. That's right. You can't. Like one of my friends had so much fun. He hates David Cage, like with a passion, like way more than I do. I think David Cage is just endearingly ridiculous. Whereas this guy hates him. Like he considers him his arch nemesis. And players like there's there's this bit where as a detective you have to like climb up a muddy slope to investigate for evidence. And had so much fun, like just getting this detective to fail climbing the muddy slope on purpose, and watching him get depressed <laughs> as he just like physically can't climb up this slope and gets muddier and muddier and muddier and more depressed and more like just ridiculously self serious. So it's kind of neat that it, though that if the that there is this kind of incremental 
uh, weight to your failures? Yeah. It, or is it just that the, the bar goes down more? And I th- it's kind of... So that's the thing. It. It's still so abstract that he wants to it, he wants to think like he's making these emotional and gripping movies, but you can see all the moves. There's nothing... There's nothing hidden. It's pretty obvious what's happening. You know, when it doesn't make you feel more human to know that your your disposition is twenty and a minute ago it was thirty five. Yeah, and when you and when you fail at something like breaking like putting the plates out because the controls are annoying, that doesn't immerse you in the simulation. That makes you go, Oh, who designs a fucking game like this? I don't mind failing at shooting ninjas. I do mind at failing at setting the plates out. Jesus. It's kind of like it's kind of like there's a movie going on but you're you're god and you can if you want to just screw with the people screw with the actors and make them completely inept and uncomfortable with each other. Oh, there's this one part in the very beginning of Indigo Prophecy where so after after Lucas the murderer guy escapes, then you get to control two other protagonists, mm. which is an interesting thing about the game that you can switch between different protagonists. And the most interesting thing is that you play as both the killer and the officers investigating the murder. Yeah, I really like so that that's kind idea. Of a neat thing. So, because you kill this guy in the washroom of this uh, of this diner, um, you can have your two uh, your two officers uh, come and investigate in the bathroom. Uh, Carla and I don't remember the guy's name. I don't either. Uh, I really Tyler. Okay. Oh yeah, that's right. And he's a pretty bad stereotype of like an African American. If I remember correctly, there was a basketball mini game involving him or something. Uh And I was like, oh, come on. And it's because he borrowed money from someone and refuses to pay him back or something. It's It's really kind uh, of, it's pretty ignorant. It's on the nose. uh, Incredibly on the nose. Yeah, it is. Well, and I mean, going into the racist stuff, there's this one scene where you're going into this huge bookstore and it's owned by this like horrible Charlie Chan Chinese stereotype slurring oh, words in the most horrible I way. And then at the end of that whole scene, the guy talks with like a perfect New Yorker Brooklyn accent. He was just faking it. Oh, I just do this for the customers because they like it. It's so insulting. Uh, but anyway, what my wife likes to do, because my wife got as obsessed with the first ten minutes of this game as I did, is she'll go into the washroom with both uh, Carla and Tyler. She'll control Tyler and you have the option to walk up to the urinal and start peeing. And <laughs> Carla, Carla yells at Tyler, and then uh, Tyler becomes depressed. <laughs> <laughs> we find that so hilarious. Oh. <laughs> so she is sure. No matter she's played that the opening scene many different ways, and yeah. come up with some like somewhat different outcomes. But that's the one thing that she has to do every oh. single time. See, that sounds to and me if like you've done enough. Th- What's that? that sounds to me like The Sims of like the really gaminess of The Sims. Like you can make them just do this stupid shit, and then they're like, "Maduba," and you're like, "It mm. totally is. It totally is." That was a. I was now, really proud of that impression of a Sim, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that was quick. That was kind of the uh, the uh, out of this world's best friend <laughs> sound as well. <laughs> Maduba. <laughs> now, um, this whole sanity meter thing. I saw that done actually to an interesting, uh, in an interesting way in the game of the thing. Did you ever oh, play this? No, the I game didn't. Version of the thing? I didn't play that, and I'll tell you why. It's because I only watched the thing for the first time last year, and it's a great film. I think I don't remember. It is an amazingly good film, and I don't remember whether I played the game before <laughs> or after I saw the film. But in the game, it's like a survival horror kind of a game. 
And one of the important uh, aspects of the game is that you have to prove to your colleagues that you were not infected, that you're not the alien or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to test your blood in front of them, stuff like that. And so there is a sanity meter that you and your teammates all have. And based on how scared you are and how much you distrust your your uh, teammates, your sanity meter might go down. And if it goes all the way down, then you like shoot yourself in the head. It's pretty grim. That reflects like, on the a, film a lot, though. It does very, very yeah. well. And the just the, the way that they kind of use the environment itself as an antagonist, because it's just such a desolate, uninviting place. Like the, even the environment is against you as well, and that has an impact on your sanity. That's so cool. I thought sanity is kind of a better a better thing to put in a, a progress bar sort of a thing than than depression. It's kind of I don't I know, think, it's kind of disrespectful to depression to make that a little yeah, bar. I think and you like you, you you drink some water and you're like, oh, I spilled it on my shirt. Now I'm a little bit more depressed. And if you're if that tips the scale for you, if you're like if you have ninety depression and then you spill the water on your shirt, oh, you just can't go on anymore. Game over. <laughs> Kill myself for this. I mean, the thing is, games are used to representing figures and abstracting them by bars and sliders. We know from like the health gauge. How ridiculous is it that your health goes down to seventy when you get shot, then goes back up when you eat a chicken wing? You know, so right. we're used to abstracting. Um, sort of metaphysical concepts like health or energy with these bars. So I guess that's the only way that these people can think to abstract those sorts of things and make it represented in-game. But when sometimes when you can see the dice rolls, it really takes away from it. Oh, this is true. And the way that you said that reminded me of another game, which I will talk about when you have taken your next turn. Okay. Well, I would like to talk about another... AGS game, and it's another one that I can't really say much about because a lot of the stuff that gets gleaned from this game comes through the experience of playing it, but everybody should play it. It's called Snakes of Avalon um, by a guy called Igor Hardy and a guy called Baron. I don't know Baron's real name. I forget it. But it was actually um, made in one month, and I was involved in making another game for the same event in that same month. So I was fairly I remember this game coming out very well because I released the game at the same time and it's a really surreal experience and it tells the tale of uh, um someone like an unreliable narrator like you play as somebody who's not quite um in their right mind. Uh, I can't really give too much away but you're playing basically as someone as an alcoholic if I remember correctly. It's been a long time since I've played it but you basically. I love an unreliable narrator in a yeah, game. Yeah, and it's the, done to. It's such an impactful medium for yeah, that. Yeah, it's done to really great effect in this. It's only one game, one room, but it plays with the medium so well, and you've got like inventory items that you can talk to, and at one point you have to pee, and you get like your own bladder as an inventory item, and you can walk around trying <laughs> to use it on stuff, and it's just. It really fits the genre very well, whereas also doing stuff that never had been done much before. I know Igor was also making a game called Frantic Frantic Franco. And I believe, if I remember correctly, he told me that I'm one of the only people that ever finished the demo that he made for it because it was just so absolutely bizarre. If I remember that one correctly, you had to chase your own mouse cursor down and trap it in order to start playing the what? game. Like he's got this really oh, that's great. He's got this really meta approach to design that I find very inspiring. 
Um, mm-hmm. Igor has shown me a bunch of his prototypes of like different stuff. One, you connect thoughts inside a brain, and it, that was fucked up. I couldn't quite figure that wow. out. Another one in which you have a, a a crying child, and you kind of like pull her snot around her face. It was he's a really <laughs> odd designer, but Snakes of Avalon is a very I guess they had a very methodic, methodological, methodical, I don't know, approach, and they knew methodical. Methodical. I can't talk. And they um, they knew exactly what they were trying to go for, and I believe they achieved it remarkably well. Simply because it uses the format in a way that is quite unique to itself, and isn't afraid. I have this really interesting thought about the fourth wall and breaking the fourth wall. You know what we mean when people say breaking the fourth wall? Sure. Right. So people go, I hate it when people break the fourth wall because what they think breaking the fourth wall means is when Herman, Herman Toothrot turns to the camera and sort of winks, you know, and, right. and acknowledges the player's presence. But really, games are all about breaking the fourth wall because if we didn't break that fourth wall, the player wouldn't be able to see in. Games exist for our amusement. People stand around for 72 mm. days waiting to give us one quest about finding a turnip. So the fourth, right. the fourth wall was broken the second a game had interactivity. That's the second the yeah, that's fourth right. wall was broken. And people don't like it when people point out that they broke that fourth wall. It's not the breaking that they dislike it's the acknowledgement of the of the existence of the player that they don't like so sure but this this quite happily um acknowledges that adventure games are silly and that it's okay to have fun with that without ruining the experience and in fact strengthening the experience by subverting our expectations and showing us something that we've never seen before so if you've not played snakes of avalon give it a try it's free it's short and it's interesting I would definitely check that out. I took a look at some of the screenshots here, and it looks very odd and very inviting. It's very odd. Very odd. Igor is such a weird guy. I chatted to him on on things. I remember he once said that two Polish policewomen, because he, he's Polish, two policewomen came to his apartment while he was still dressed in his pajamas, and he was... He was kind of caught in this trap between finding the two police officers attractive and being embarrassed at being caught in his pajamas. <laughs> so there's uh, there's sounds a, like a game right there. There's a bit of trivia for you about the one of the people that made that game. That's great. Well, I I really admire people that have the ability to make you kind of re make you aware of the assumptions that you've made mm. about something that you've spent your whole life. Uh, kind of n- not not thinking twice about. Mm-hmm. So I, I have great respect for someone that has the objectivity yeah, to do that. It's kind of weird how much we accept. I remember, have you played the Blackwell games, Brian? I think you've played some of them. Oh, yes. All of them, right. yes. You remember at the start of the Blackwell epiphany, there's a puzzle in which Rosa has to pour her coffee on some ice. Yeah, but I'm spoiling this for anyone who hasn't played it, but who cares? Um, and I, I said to Dave, like, oh, man, it's ridiculous that she's carrying a full cup of hot coffee around in her pocket. Like, why right. don't I do a, a set of walk cycles for her? I was willing to do this, where she carries the coffee around, like she walks around with it, because she doesn't do anything else in the game before she pours this coffee on. I was totally ready mm-hmm. to do it, because I was like, I hate the idea of Hammer Space, where you've got, like, this realistic game, but suddenly she's got a hot coffee cup in her pocket, sloshing around as yeah. she strolls around the snow. 
But he said... Your bag of holding. Yeah, but he said, that's a great idea, but there's a puzzle later on that needs the coffee cup, and she's going to have to have it in an in her inventory. So I couldn't do it. I was kind of disappointed. Uh, um, but yeah, it's kind of... But you just kind of accept that there's a hot coffee cup in an, in her inventory. You don't even think twice about it. But to me, I, I thought, oh, mm-hmm. this is... Which, we're making a serious game now. <laughs> Let's not be silly. <laughs> Right. Anyway. Well, in in addition to uh, games on my list, I also have just some like surreal, weird things that happen in games. Uh-huh. And so you've brought up one of the things, which is like that bag of holding, uh, Sierra kind of inventory where anything goes. Yeah, good old hamster. So there's that's right. So th- there's two Sierra games that I thought tackled this in a really funny, self-aware kind of a way. It's totally breaking the fourth wall, just as you say. Um, one of them is in Space Quest Three where you walk like one or two screens away from the very first place where you uh, start the game, and there's this 10-foot ladder. And so, what do you say, of course? You walk up to it, and you type in, take ladder. It says, you put the ladder in your pocket. Ouch. <laughs> and so that's perfect. Yeah. And there's a, I forget whether there's an animation of it now, but you have this 10-foot la- ladder inside of your pants pocket. So that's that's totally... That sort of a thing. And then the other example I have is from Leisure Suit Larry 2, which is a really peculiar game and a peculiar art style. And it starts out totally differently than the rest of it goes. You start off kind of walking around. I guess it's Los Angeles or something. And um, one of the inventory items that you need is a humongous cup of cola. So you go to this uh, convenience store... And it's like a 200-ounce cup of cola or something. It's like four times the size of Larry. And I think it like fades out and says like four hours later after you put the cup underneath the dispenser thing. And then you have this gigantic, tippy, <laughs> completely full cup of cola. And there's this fantastic animation where he like picks it up and he's like tipping a little bit. And then he very slowly and carefully jams the whole thing inside of his coat pocket. And then he's exactly the same size as he was before he did it. And then you have, like, in your inventory, 200-ounce cup of cola. <laughs> I, I remember... So, um, it's beautiful. There's a bit in Monkey Island 2 where Guybrush puts a dog into his coat and you see the dog, like... <laughs> do you remember that? The dog's, like, running around in his coat. Is that, like, the the uh, little poodle thing? The killer poodle? It was... Um, no, it was a dog near the treehouse, I think. It's been a long, long time since I've played LeChuck's Revenge. But there's also, in Simon the Sorcerer, you have to pick up a ladder, and Simon picks up, takes his wizard hat off and kind of drops mm. this ladder in the hat and it disappears. But because he's a magician, you think, oh, well, he's a wizard, he can do that. That was a fun little... Well, that's a great way to do it, yeah. too, in the hat. That's a, that's a good way to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. That's... Oh, uh... I see. Oh, go ahead. Is that should I that, should I mention a game now? Uh sure. Yes. Okay. I'm going to mention a couple of games that you gave to me as a gift and you might already know what it was. One was called Gravity Bone and the other was called 30 Flights of Loving and they're very they're by the same people, I believe. Did I give you Gravity Bone? Yeah, it came packed in with 30 Flights of Loving. Oh, I wonder hmm. if I have it too then because I don't think I've played that okay. one. But it's very 30 Flights of Loving I definitely gave yeah. you, and that was very jazz punky. It's very... That's why I recommended jazz punk to you, because it reminded me so much of Gravity Bone and 30 Flights of Loving. And when I played jazz punk, I thought, oh, man, Brian's got to play this. But I played it... I played this, like... I think you got it for me for my birthday, if I remember correctly. And I played it Maybe. very, very shortly after that. And that was so 
they're very much um, an experiment in storytelling and like the in media res kind of style where you don't know all of the information but you're in a situation and you have to react to it as it happens and mm-hmm. very much style over substance but also very very peculiar I'm not sure yes. what I can say about them without giving too much away but it's kind of like a spy thriller except you don't know why you're doing things you don't know really it's kind of like a Quentin Tarantino sort of a story I might say the kind of tell tell the start at the end and the end at the start or whatever it was and also the scenario just where it's like criminals doing criminal stuff as I recall yeah, okay. a while since I played it that makes sense but yeah you play as basically both of those things together you play as like this this secret agent or this spy or stuff and you're doing things but then you see a story unravel and it's never quite clear what's gone on in between, but you're just getting these snippets of this story. And it's a really, it's very surreal. It's very strange to play, but I enjoyed it a lot. And the art style is super surreal too. Like the people are, they kind of look like Lego men, sort of like Mm. Duplo Lego men. They look like kind of big blocky children's toys. Yeah. But they're going through all of this like adult situation, like crime and love kind of, stuff which which is also this like just weird weird juxtaposition of two contrasting things yeah it's kind of unreliable um narration in the sense that you're not getting all of the facts you're just getting little snippets of story and you kind of piece everything together as it goes and try and make a a cohesive whole out of it and that's that was really interesting to me so i really it left me thinking a lot about how we tell everything in a story and how much do we really need to tell. Yes. It was interesting to see the narrative structure broken apart like that and that it still holds together really well as a single experience. And it's particularly impactful in a game, I suppose, because you're not just given this information, you're expected to act and to further the story yourself. And maybe there's only one way to do it, maybe there's more than one. I think it's just a purely linear game, and I don't know if there's really much opportunity to do anything wrong or to lose in that no, game. No, I think it was fairly linear from memory, yeah. Yeah, linear and short, but uh, it tells a story, and you, you're you told the story, and then you kind of do some more stuff out of order, and then you understand a little bit more about the story and about who you are and about your relationship to the other people, and there's a little bit of complexity to it, and it's pleasant. It's a pleasant game. Yeah, to it play, is, and and because it's short form, it never wears out its welcome. It stays yeah, fresh right. because it doesn't get too long. And I would say that was true of jazz punk as well, because it's a lot longer, but it has so much variety. You don't know what the hell is going to happen in the next second. Yeah, let's talk about jazz punk a bit. Jazz punk was so good at just being a toy box, you know, like a toy box of weird shit just going on, and you just had fun, like. I, I say it a lot on the other podcasts about exploration being gameplay, and jazz punk is a prime example of that. It's like being a kid at someone else's house, and you're going through their toy box, and you lift up a thing, and you squeeze this one, and it squeaks, and you poke that one, the lights come on, and it's just fun. It's like a pop-up box. Yeah, it's just like that. And you just, like, you wind the handle on this, and the thing comes out, and it's all like, you know, there's just so many weird things. And so you're just compelled to keep playing just to see what weird shit's going to happen next, you know? One minute, and you try. Yeah, you're compelled to try every little. It's very much like, um, like a humongous entertainment game, where you can just click something in the background and something insane will happen. Like something will be animated that isn't supposed to be. Yeah, it's like those old. Or you talk to someone and they'll say something out of left field. Right, all those kids' games, like um, 
the magic school bus games and that sort of thing, like you said, the humongous games, you just it's just interesting to go around like that's why I started liking adventure games because you'd walk around as Sam and Max or Beavis and Butted and you'd click on stuff and funny things would happen and you go, Oh, that's funny. Yes. I enjoyed that. Or your protagonist will comment Yeah, on and you go, Well, that's funny, I wanna see what other funny things they're gonna say or do. That's my favorite part. Yeah, of, so that's of all adventure that's games. why I like adventure games primarily to see mm-hmm. like the interesting things or the funny things, you know. So, the so jazz punk is a really great example, and there are some absolutely delightful and pointless surprises hidden with whether you're chasing a fly around a china shop, smashing the shit out of all the vases, or playing mm-hmm. Wedding Quake, which is obviously a highlight. It's just. <laughs> That was such a great aspect of that game. Just it was, it could have been done so badly, but they actually cared and they actually made it really good. I know I played it for a while. Yeah, it was really, and I like that they had like the Unreal Tournament kind of announcer. The announcer, yeah. Just oh man, it was such a great, such a great game. Just because it kept you second guessing what's going to happen next. You're always going, what crazy thing am I going to find next? And it's always something even better than you could think of. Like, I'm struggling to remember single moments from it now. It's just so all over the place, and there's just so little cohesion between one thing and the next, or what you expect to see around the next corner, that I'm kind of struggling to rem- remember a lot of As it. As a cohesive whole, it doesn't really tell a very strong story. But as no, at all, not at all. But it doesn't need to. No, I think it's the kind of thing that you'll play again in five years' time and still crack up. You still just go, that's great. Yeah, you, you don't want to play it in too rapid succession because you want to forget enough about it that it'll be fresh again. Yeah, there's one thing when I play my old games, I hate the old puzzles, I hate the old graphics, I hate the way I coded things back then, but I find little stupid jokes that I put in the games and they always crack me up every single mm. time. So, yeah, everyone should play Jazz Punk just because it it's, it's not scared to be fun. Games kind of get scared to be fun a bit, you know? Like, they... They're like, oh, it's games are serious now. It's a multi-billion-dollar industry and Tomb Raider and Call of Duty, but it's still okay to have fun. That's right, and games are scared to be like more than one thing. A game is like a point-and-click adventure, or it is a shooter. And this is a game. This game is like it's like those like twelve packs of of kids cereal that you can buy, <laughs> like twelve little boxes of cereal. It's it's kind of like a WarioWare sort of a yeah. Of that's actually a really but... good a really good way of thinking. It's a lot of little tiny things that come together to make a collective whole. Mm-hmm. And there, like, there's the framing device, I guess, of you like. I don't know if you're like a it's, you're like an it's, agent. It's or a something. secret agent story, same as Thirty Flights of Loving. I suppose so. Is it the same team? No, I don't think it is. I could be. It kind of feels like it. Really, you know, like a, it really, really, really feels like the same team. But yeah, mm-hmm. everybody should give it a go just because it's absolutely fun and quirky, and it's not afraid to just have fun with its systems. Which I that really inspired me. I totally agree. The systems are fun, and the writing is fun. It's very funny. I laughed out loud all the yeah. time. And I have to thank you again for buying me that, because that was a terrific I'm, game. I had so, so much I'm fun. I'm glad you enjoyed it, but I have to say, I kind of knew you would. That's just one of those games that I know your sense of humor well enough that I'm like, oh man, Brian's going to love this. Oh, I appreciate that. This is the kind of game that 
My wife looked over at it <laughs> like a few times. She would kind of look at me cockeyed and like shake yep. her head and go back to playing whatever yep. else she that's was That's your naked tricycle dream <laughs> sequence sort of thing. Yes. Yep. Yes. Well, that's that's certainly something well, I'm going to check out too. That's going in the show. Uh, <laughs> this is... Um, okay, I'm going to take a turn. How are you for time, by the way? Oh, whenever. I don't care. Oh. It's, okay, it's cool. Sunday. I'm, I'm comfortable. Oh, right on. All right, the next one I wanted to talk about came to mind as you were talking about... Uh, as we were talking about David Cage oh, games. Oh, right. This, so this is a game called Facade. Have you tried oh, this one? Oh, no, but I've read so much about it. Oh, this game, I think... This has got to be one of my favorite games. This is utterly fascinating. Facade, it's, it's like a social simulation, I suppose I would call it. Mm. This is a game... I'll talk about the premise anyway. The premise is that you are invited over to a couple's house, a man and a woman. Um, they are inviting you to, uh, like, uh, you're an old friend of theirs, and they want to have you back to their place just so that you can have a few drinks and chat with them and have a nice little evening in. So you go to their place, and uh, you say hello to them, and you can hug them. You interact with them. Like, they will. They're three, it's a 3D game where you walk around in a 3D space, mm-hmm. and they will talk to you, and if you want to talk to them, then you can type out anything you want, and you can type anything at all that you want, and like they'll either understand it or they won't, but they have, uh, the parser has like a surprisingly uh, vast vocabulary, okay. and it will very often understand exactly what you're trying to say to the characters. That's worrying, because I and, say some shit. Oh, and the, the, after you've taken this game seriously, saying some shit is endlessly hilarious. I bet. So, but this is a very serious game, and in mm. fact, a few of the games on my list are very serious games, but this is a game where you quickly realize that the relationship between these two people is starting to fail, mm-hmm. um, that they are making little jabs at each other, or they'll, like, snarkily say a little uh, veiled insult about the uh, the other person, either behind their back or kind of to their face, and make the other person uncomfortable, and you have the option to intervene or to smooth things over, or to, like, exacerbate it and make them fight more, or to just, like, be quiet and uh, carry on with the activities of the night. So this is a replayable game with a few different scenarios that will either happen or won't. Like, maybe they'll have you walk up to the wall and look at a picture of a vacation, Mm -hmm. and the two of them will disagree on whether it was a good vacation or whether the location was where they both wanted to go or whether the people that they hung out with there were... uh, were were agreeable, or you walk over to the bar and uh, the 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 man's name is Trip and the woman's name is Grace, and so you'll walk up to the bar and Trip will say, "Oh, let's have a drink," uh, and uh, Grace will walk over to uh, the other side of the room where there's a couch and say, "Oh, you don't want to drink. Drinking is boring. Come over here and sit with me on the couch." And you can choose whether you want to go over to get a drink or you can sit over on the couch. And you'll insult one of them and make the other one happy. Oh, that sounds terrifying. It's, well, it's, the whole game when you play it is probably about ten minutes long or so. Mm -hmm. But there are so many little variables that may or may not happen. And so many ways that you can handle each thing. And even, the, based on... You know, whether you side with the same person over and over, that will change the ending. Or if you uh, if you do something with both of them, like in equal amounts, then that will change things. Or if you make them angry, or if you make them happy. You can either have them reconcile their relationship, and they have this like whole uh, 
this whole like uh, verbal revelation where they realize why they've been unhappy and what they can do about it. Mm. Or one of them might say that they were cheating on the other, or one of them might just say, I've been unhappy for a long time, I can't take it anymore, and they walk out the door never to come back again. Or you walk up to one of them and say, I like putting stickers on my butt, butt cheeks. And they say, okay, that's it. Now it's time to go. And they forcibly walk you over to their door and slam the door in your face. That's great. I like that leave. bit. I, see, I have this... It's <laughs> Games are so choice-oriented now, and it's so obvious when you have to make a choice that I'm like, which one do I choose sometimes? And in a case like that, I'm like, well, how do I know whether to go to the bar or to go sit with them? You know? So, I guess, oh, sure. I guess short form... Well, there's no right answer. Yeah, I guess short form, it's interesting to experiment, like that sort of thing. Yes. But... That's exactly. It's kind it. of awkward for me because one of my friends just got divorced after being for married for a long, 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 long time, and it's mm-hmm. like just seeing that whole thing there, like hearing that whole thing there, reminds me of like his kind of thing, and where you like two people, and there's a problem there, and you're like, oh man, I don't want to take sides, but they're asking me, like they're telling me things, and I got to try and take sides, but still be polite. That's such an awkward situation, and it makes sense for an interactive thing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh sure. Well, it may it may hit too close to home if you've been in a situation like that. Well, I haven't been but... divorced myself. Yeah. No, <laughs> but I mean, if you're if you if you've been <laughs> if if you had to deal with friends who were in that situation, then it may hit too close to home. But like the essence of storytelling is conflict, and this is a very yeah. obvious, very present conflict, and it's really cool having like this unlimited power. It feels like to say whatever you want to say, and sometimes you can. You can uh, solve a situation by saying the right thing, and sometimes you can solve a situation by saying nothing and letting the two of them just fight it out or, or talk it out. And sometimes you can say something now or you can say it later, and that has a, diff- a, a different mm. conclusion. So there's a whole bunch. There must be like 20 different endings or yeah. so. And because it's a short-form little thing, it really encourages you to experiment. And there's nothing keeping you from being a super jackass and just seeing what you can get away with. Oh, because not only are you able to type at the bottom of the screen, like old school Sierra style, uh, to speak to people in the environment, you can also click on some things. You can pick up a drink and sip nice. it. Or you can... Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite things is that uh, a phone will ring and they'll say, oh, don't answer it, don't answer it. And uh, the machine takes it, but you can like... Uh, you can press a button and hear what the message is and everybody's all uncomfortable about it because you can hear them talking. Um, but you can also click on the people and you can you can uh, hug them. <laughs> if you stand up to someone, you can hug them or you can kiss them. <laughs> and so I do believe there's a way for you to like get romantically involved with maybe both of wow. them. Wow. Which is really, really That's cool. Like, it's basically like a real-life simulator but with pretend consequences. Like... You can fuck totally. their lives up completely, and the next t- you're just like, okay, well, we'll try something else. Unlike real life, we're like, well, I was friends with someone, and now I'm not, and their life's ruined, and their kids aren't talking to Absolutely. them. Absolutely. So, that's cool. Absolutely. It's totally a simulation, which is great. So, mm. if you do what I did, you'll probably take the first one or two playthroughs seriously, then everything will go completely off the... The, the rails and you'll get yourself kicked out like five times either for repeatedly smooching the one one person over and over and over until they can't stand you anymore <laughs> or just doing some random shit or whatever but then you'll go back to treating it seriously again because there's so much uh, depth to it mm. and you, you're just not sure what the triggers are 
and that's a very rewarding thing. So this is a totally free game. Um, if you opt to donate, then they mail they will email you like a strategy guide, which tells you all the behind the scenes oh, stuff and cool. exactly what the triggers are, which is cool. So I totally donated it to it. I didn't read the I read the, a little bit of the strategy guide, but so much of the charm and the mystery is just not knowing what to do. Yeah, exploration and I is believe, the fun. Exactly, exactly. I find it no fun to just follow a script. Um, I believe the creators of the games were like psychology students or something like that, sociologists or something like that, and it was kind Sociopaths. of an experiment. But yeah, <laughs> totally. Well, that was my part. Yeah, that was my part in the game. Oh, that's cool. So, I had forgotten that the game existed. It. Hilarious. So that's it's cool to hear it being brought up again. Because it, I forgot. Yeah, to I'm gonna play it, it was like a really a really well talked about thing at the time when it was released and then it kind of slipped off the radar yeah so. oh and I forgot one important detail which is at the very beginning you your your gender is kind of not too important in the game because you're just you and you're their friend but at the very very beginning you can choose from a list of names what your name is mm-hmm. and that limited list of names of like 40 names or so are voiced and so wow. <laughs> they say they lucky for me the name Brian is in That's there cool. So they'll say in the whiniest voice, Trip, the man in the whiniest voice, every now and then he'll say, but Brian, <laughs> Brian. <laughs> My wife made fun of me for way too long. <laughs> That's funny. Trying to that reminds me of... <laughs> copy the inflection. Do you, yes. do you remember um, Firefly Studios' Stronghold? Not the DOS game Stronghold that was based on Dungeons & Dragons, but the Firefly Studio castle-building real-time strategy game. Mm, oh... I can... Is this, like, circa 2000? Yeah, that sort of era. I think I, I, think I can, like, picture a magazine ad for yeah. it or something. I never played Great it. Great game. Um, but I remember when I first loaded that up, um, they ask you for your name, as games always do. And I typed my name in, and I pressed enter, and it went, Welcome, Lord Ben! And I went, What the hell? Oh. The computer knows my name. But, I mean, obviously, they just had, like, a limited list of... You know, I guess of very common names because Ben's not exactly an uncommon name, and they just they mm. pr- had provision. Obviously, they had spare booth time when they were doing the voice acting, and just said, "Right, here's a list of seven hundred names. Get cracking!" Oh, that's so great! It's so you just type it in, and it happened to be one. Yeah, of them. I just typed my name in. I wasn't. Oh, that's the most magical of yeah. all when it's by, you don't know it. It's I coming. didn't know it was coming. It was not like I selected it from a list or anything. I just typed it in. I could have typed, but I mean, I've tried other things like, you know, they don't have provision for welcome Lord Farty Butt or anything like that. So that's disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, used to be a big fan of hockey games for PC. Yep. They don't. They haven't made those for quite some time now. But in the later ones, where you could make your own player, uh, and they had like the play-by-play voiceover of an announcer, like a TV announcer, um, when you made your own player, they would let you choose your name from a list, just like that. It was just your first name. It, for every other player that they were announcing, they would say either the first name and last name, or just the last name. But for you, it was always just the first name. And they had like, they had like Barney and Barry and <laughs> and stuff. They didn't have Brian. Oh, that's a shame. They had, uh, they, otherwise they had, like, Big Shot. So I think I was Big Shot, or Big Boy, nice. or something like that. I was like, <laughs> yeah. You could have uh, just picked Ryan and pretend that they're not, they've got a speech impediment. 
You're the level-headed friend that I never played hockey games uh-huh. with, Ben. I played a hockey game once, that. and it was fun. I used to really like sports games. I like played a basketball game that was good. There was a baseball game that was fun. Not hardball, like mm-hmm. after the hardball series, some 3D thing. But yeah, I used to... Oh, I used to like the hardball Yeah, series. hardball's cool. I like hardball a lot. Great graphics. I think Hardball 3 was the first one that had a voice. Yeah, and it was so choppy. And that choppy. was a game on floppy, too. Yeah, that's the voice. Yeah, it was totally it's choppy. Like, but it was magical. It's like a jigsaw puzzle being put. It's like, you know what it always reminded me of? is like ransom notes with cut-out magazine letters put together. <laughs> that's what it sounds like. It is like... You've played Gabriel Knight 2, I suppose. No. You have no, not? I've only seen cutscenes of it, and that has reinforced that I won't play it. Oh, that's a brilliant, brilliant, terrific game. Mm. That that might be Jane Jensen's best game, if you ask Gabriel, me. But, uh, Gabriel Knight kind of slipped by me. I know a lot of people love it. Oh, too bad. I know a lot of... I'm not... I'm probably going to upset a lot of people by saying I'm not a big fan of Jane Jensen's writing, but I've experienced... That. Mm-hmm. I don't, well, fair I don't like King's Quest Six much. I didn't like the first Gabriel Knight much, because I just... I don't know. They let people get away... with. I realized it was the 1990s and that stories and games were pretty weak, but I, I probably came to it way too late to appreciate what they did. I'm sorry, everybody. Uh, fair enough. Down. Well, the only reason I brought up uh, Gabriel Knight 2 is that there's a puzzle where you have the recording of someone's voice and you have to rearrange the recording so that he's saying something else. Mm. And then you play it back on the telephone to someone. It's a really, it's kind of a cliched thing that isn't supposed to work in the real world, but it's it's. There's funny. a puzzle like that it, at it the very like end of Torrens Passage, and I hated all of Torrens Passage, but that puzzle was so good to me. I enjoyed it a lot. It was great, and it was very satisfying to solve. So that was like, it was like getting to the end of, like it's like the David Cage thing where you've just eaten a whole trough full of mud and sticks, and at the end there's like. One small, <laughs> delicious treat. Oh, well, that that doesn't make up for the mud and sticks at all, but at least I have a small marshmallow. Oh, sure. I own that game on on CD. Oh, I, I earned that game, actually. My, I was helping my mom out at her place of work at the time. This was in the 90s, I guess. And... They uh, got a brand new computer, and I just helped them set up the new computer. And it was like an off-the-shelf kind of a computer, and it came with this uh, this uh, collection of like 10 CD-ROMs. And so as payment, they gave me the thing of 10 CD-ROMs, and I was absolutely thrilled because it was like $500 worth of software. Yeah. And the, the only... Le- so Torrance Passion... Pass- Torrance Passage... The passage of the... The one- passion of the Torrent. <laughs> That's right. That was that was one of them, and there was a bunch of uh, I think there was like Printmaster or something. And the one game that I was most excited to get had like a scratch in it or something, and it wouldn't work. And that was Mech Warrior Two. Oh, cool. what yeah. a shame! I wanted that so bad. That was pro. Yeah, was... that's better than Torrens Passage. Well, I mean, I know yes, some of your listeners. I know at least Akio likes Torrens Passage. So take my hatred with a grain <laughs> of salt, because I usually like everything, like even the shittest game I enjoy. So. I'm sorry to all of the Torrens Passage fans out there. Was that an Al Lowe game? Yes, it was. I don't get along with Al Lowe's sense of humor and writing at all. I don't like... Any time I play a Leisure Suit Larry game, I just can't stand it. I, read, I, I really? haven't played um, Freddy Farkas. So, but yeah, I just... I, Al Lowe's a really nice guy when you read his interview or his Twitters or his weird jokes. Um, mm-hmm. But he seems like such a nice guy and I feel so bad 
at bad-mouthing his games. I'm sorry, Al. Well, sometimes sometimes his writing is a little bit mean-spirited, and that's the kind of stuff that I don't like so much. Like, Legion Suit Larry 6, I think, had a lot of mean-spirited humor in it, but I think number 7 yeah. is a good balance. Yeah, Anatoly got me number 7, and I keep meaning to try it. I just remember the last time I played a Legion Suit Larry game... Um, was Leisure Suit Larry 5, and I got up to a bit where Patty undergoes a guy using an electric drill on her genitals, and I was like, this uh, is yeah. perhaps the least funny thing I've ever encountered in my life. There's no humor uh, to it. It's not It's not clever. It's not funny. It's not quirky. It's just being gross and going, hey, we did a gross thing. Isn't that funny? No, no. So... Um, uh, so perhaps that falls under the umbrella of some kind of mean-spirited sort of stuff, or taking it like one step too far that makes you a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, he does do that from time. I to don't. Time. I don't know why using a power tool on genitals is meant to be funny. There's no visual, real. I mean, I guess it's a visual gag. I just don't know. It just it doesn't do anything for me at all. Mm. So, I don't know. I'm sorry. Well, fair enough. What were we even talking about? <laughs> we were talking about facade. Um. Marmalade. Oh, facade. Yes. Wow. I think that's all I have to say about facade. Okay. Good. Totally recommend it. It's totally free. Oh, totally. Possible. I'll kind of bring up a genre that isn't very common. Have you ever played a game called Xeno Clash or Xeno Clash, depending on where in the world you are? Sure, sounds familiar. It's, uh, tell me about it's it. It's a first-person brawler where you play as in the first-person viewpoint and you punch people and block. Oh, I played this. I love this yeah, game. Yeah, Clash was so good, but it's fucked up. Like, the, stor- the story is incredibly bizarre. The setting is incredibly bizarre. And you fight these just freakish, mutant, weird things. Like, the game itself is pretty basic, and the act of punching the shit out of things is really, really satisfying. I found the combat really cool, and it was a great experience to yeah. play through. But the setting and the story is just... It, it really reminds me of, like, the 90s where people would just make this weird shit up and go, well, there's your story. Have that. Get that in you, you know? And I enjo- I actually enjoyed the story and, like, the revelation that came with it and, like, you go on this quest to save your tribe and, you know, there's... Oh, right, the quest to find, like, the father-mother... Yeah, and I don't want to spoil it for anybody that hasn't played it, because it really, it's really worth playing through, but it is one of the most yeah. bizarre settings that I've ever encountered, and it just it's hard to know how much of it was intended and how much of it was people being bad at 3D models, so they just stuck parts together. <laughs> I thought the models were gorgeous. They are, except the they're in a very very uncomfortable way. It's like grotesque. Yeah, the grotesque is a yeah, very good Yeah, it is uncomfortable. Word. There's all these, like, kind of animal-human hybrids, mm. as I recall. A lot of, like, bird people and stuff, yeah. and, like, rhinoceros people. Yeah. Uh, it, it almost looks like claymation. It had a very odd art style, and it's very, like, lush and colorful. It has a terrific bright palette. Yeah, but it's, it's weird to and have... The voice acting is very strange. The whole game's very strange, but it, yeah, it was... It's it, very strange. It was a really enjoyable game to me, but just I just remember um, being struck by this setting, and they just deliberately just turned up the weird dial to 10, and I... 
I don't know if that strengthened the story or not. I really can't say. But when you mention Surreal Games to me, I'm like, oh, I... It's been a very long time since I'd thought about Xenoclash, and I thought I'd love to talk about that again, just because I think yeah. there might be a few people who haven't played it yet, and it's worth playing because there's not that many first-person brawling games, and that's a really interesting... It's it's interesting to play and satisfying. It got a bit tedious towards the end, because it's just punching mm-hmm. and blocking constantly, but I did enjoy it a lot. It's got a real kind of like a, a Street Fighter kind of a feel to it, except that it's in first person. It's really hard to get first person punching to feel good, but between between like the actions and the sound, it feels very impactful. Yeah. And being able to knock people on the ground and stuff, there's a good variety of moves that you can do that uh, allow you to do different strategies. Oh, you can also pick up uh, ranged weapons, but they only had like a few bullets and it wasn't really the that wasn't the, the game. idea, but I, I think it had dual wielding fish guns. I just remember. Oh, I, it sounds vaguely familiar. I just remember it had a I lot go. of weight to like the kinetics of the movement. You know, you could really feel the yeah. thrust, the thrust of throwing a punch, and like the the smack of blocking someone's blow. It was really, as you say, the sound and just the feel of it really lent some real weight to the experience of moving around and within the world. So, it reminds me a little bit of Mirror's Edge, where you kind of see your own limbs doing stuff, and you get this feeling of weight, but it probably had more feeling of weight than Mirror's Edge, because Mirror's Edge, you, I mean, if you fight in Mirror's Edge, you're probably not paying attention to what the game wants you to do. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Well, Mirror's Edge kind of had a good weight for your body, mm. but Xenoclash had a good weight for your fists. Yeah. That's how I might put That's it. That's a good way of putting it. So yeah, boy, do I love Mirror's Edge. Mirror's Edge is fantastic. I agree. So there's, are they making another one? So that's good. I was actually dismayed to hear that the, the sequel is going to be open world. Uh, everything. I was really disappointed to hear that. Open, yeah. It is, and what that says to me is that it's going to be like every Ubisoft game. It's by EA, but it's going to be like every Ubisoft <laughs> game, I think, which means you're going to clear dots off a map. Yeah. Which is so boring. This, I'm so sick of that. There's this really interesting phenomenon where games used to be about following abstract symbols around, and then suddenly we mm-hmm. got the ability to do CGA graphics, and not just like from CGA graphics to EGA graphics, and you could go from like the net hack following, or like the rogue following like an at symbol around, to like, oh, now you can actually see the wolf. Now you can see the bear. And then we got to VGA, where you could see them in 256 colors. Then SVGA, where you had, like, you know, higher resolution. And then you just got more and more advanced to the point where everything's too cluttered and realistic, where we're back to following the at symbol around, except now it's a diamond on the map. You know, you have to... Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's unfortunate that we've almost stepped backwards in what we're doing in the game. It's just basically a nice wallpaper for finding the recycle bin icon. Oh, that's so depressing. Mm. I'm sorry to everybody that likes modern games, but they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I I get really bored of modern franchises really quickly. I played one of the new Batman games, and that was alright. And then I played the second one, and I'm like, it's just the same shit, but a bit more polished up. I played the first Assassin's Creed, and that was alright. I played the second one, and I just gave up, because I'm like, it's the same... You haven't done anything. It's not like Doom where actually moving around and shooting is fun. Assassin's Creed, you just hold a building and you go up. You hold a button and you go up a building. That's not fun. 
Yeah, it doesn't no. even have a jump button, does I don't, it? I don't. I honestly don't. Just go forward. There's going to be so played, many yeah. corrections on this episode because I'm talking shit about games that I know nothing wrong. about. I don't give a shit. Everyone else is wrong and Assassin's Creed is overdone. <laughs> I totally agree. I, I will often give a franchise, like, I'll try the first one and I kind of get it. And then if I try the second one, I usually get bored of it. There's rare exceptions that I'll <clears throat> keep up with the franchise. I have to admit that I omitted a Call of Duty game from my what I played list this week. My wife was playing the latest one, Advanced Warfare, mm-hmm. which... I tried to, and we both got totally bored of it because it's just more of the same. Mm. But she picked it up again after taking a few months off of it, and it's so beautiful. This is a game that costs so much to make, and it really shows because they're unbelievably, incredibly talented artists and modelers and designers and stuff. It's like breathtakingly gorgeous game. So I picked. I have the second to newest one, uh, Call of Duty Ghosts. I just picked it up again. It's brain dead idiotic it's stupid and you know what to expect and the story is horrible and makes no sense at all and the ending is so insulting and moronic but it's so pretty and i just wanted to look at some pretty stuff for a while and it's super duper pretty Do you know what's a really pretty first person shooter is killzone mercenary on um playstation oh playstation on vita i've never played one. Oh man that did look really it's pretty. a handheld game that looks like a 2009 console shooter or pc shooter Oh, it's handheld. It's handheld. It's stunning. It blew me away to look at what that little tiny handheld could do. It, it's it's huh. insulting how good the graphics on a handheld game could be. It's like, it's <laughs> unbelievably cool. Shooters and handheld. I, I, is it, how do you uh, aim? Is it with an analog stick yeah. or with the touch? No, analog stuff? Analog yeah. Stick. I can't do that. I'm really. I taught at that. myself to do it by buying Half Life Two for PlayStation Three and just clutching my way through it until by the end of the game I was like, okay, I can do this now. That's what I need to do. I guess you just got anything can be learned. Oh sure, I haven't done that successfully since GoldenEye for the N64, which is a controller that only has one analog I, stick. That's like one of the first person shoot. One of the few first person shoes that I didn't like at all. Oh, really? I love the single player. I, I played it so many times. But see, I only ever played at a friend's house because I never had a 64, so that might be why. Oh, it was a totally underpowered console that could like barely push out the polygons on screen. The frame rate was really slow, and, mm. and everything looked really blocky and crappy. So games were very slow and plotting, <laughs> but that game just had enough variety and stuff. It, it What that game had, as I recall, was... Um, when you shoot someone, if you shoot the wall or you shoot the person, then it leaves a little mark at that point on their model. Mm-hmm. No, it didn't do it. It only did it on walls. It didn't do it on people. Right. But that was such a unique thing. And then I think in that game, if you shot someone in a certain place, then they would like recoil in that direction, or depending on what part of their body you hit, they would like cover their leg or cover their arm or something. That was really cool. That was new for the time. It's, it's hard to be excited by that when I've played Soldier of Fortune 2. <laughs> oh, I love that game so much. That is the, that's the most. You you got to be really ashamed of yourself to enjoy yeah, that game. You I really think. do. Because <laughs> all you do is kind of reduce people to giblets. You shoot someone with two bullets, and by the time you're done shooting them, you've used like 180 bullets mm. because you can shoot like every little every, of every little tiny facet of their being can be shredded into mincemeat. Oh, it was so great. You know, I 
I oh. played through that to the end, and I was like, oh. So did I. I was so good at shooters back then, because I tried playing it, like, a few years ago, and I couldn't get past the first level. I was like, man, this is too hard. How did I finish this? No kidding. Uh, I well, I guess we had endless patience. Yeah, I used to... You're a relatively very patient gamer, too. I am, and I... Even today. I, I was so bad at that. Um, that reminded me of... They were hard That on. reminded me of a game... Um, I, is it my turn yet, or is it your turn? I, Please. A PlayStation Vita game yeah. that I didn't put on my list, but I want to mention now, because it's so cute, and the Vita is so underloved as a platform, is called Tearaway, where you play as a little paper man in a little paper world, and you literally go around the little paper world, like, tearing paper things, and, like, you, you we use the touchscreen, and you peel stuff back, and, and things like that. And it's really bizarre. Like, it's weird as as hell, but it's so... Well done and clever and cute and one of what kind of a game is it? It's like a 3D platformer. It's it's like okay. every other 3D platform you've ever played, but with a few cute gimmicks and you know fun puzzles and stuff. But what one of my favorite things? Well, one of the interesting things is that they put you in the world. So the PlayStation Vita's got like this front-facing camera, so you'll be playing around and like. You are the sun, apparently, in this world, and they talk to you directly, like they break the fourth wall. But they use the camera to put your face as the face of the sun, so like, oh, great. you see your unshaven, bleary-eyed, three a.m. <laughs> face playing this thing in the game, in this otherwise cute and colourful. And you're like, oh no, don't show me that. I don't want to see. I don't want to see the wreck, the miserable, hollow husk of a human being that I am playing games <laughs> at three a.m. Don't show me that. Oh really? But one of my favourite things. This is so great. Is you've got like, there's a touchpad on the back of the PlayStation VR that you can touch and like control like that as right. well and there's these little touch things where you're meant to poke like the little person up you make them jump by poking them and a 3d finger comes through the, like the world and like pu- pushes them up and it's so convincing because you move around and it follows the movements of your finger it's so great oh, to neat. watch your own finger burst through this 3d world like punch this little guy up into the cliff that he needs to get up to oh that's excellent yeah. that was a very clever uh Control scheme having touch on the back. I thought that was very smart. I can't believe phones don't use that. Yeah, I th- I don't know, but I th- I think like not many games use it on the Vita. Like Tearaway was one of the launch titles. Like so, you know that they're going to put all the gimmicks in possible to say, hey, this is what our game console can do, um, as mm. they did with the Wii, as they did with the Xbox One shit. You know, they just we've got a new gimmick, let's try and shoehorn this crap into a game's control system. But it actually works really well in Tearaway, and it's really cute. But it's also a really weird game. It's so bizarre, as a lot of 3D platforms are. I also wanted to briefly bring up Psychonauts, because we couldn't talk about surreal games without Psychonauts, because I have so much love for that game. Me too. Yeah, and particularly, like, everybody talks about it, but the Milkman conspiracy level is so fascinatingly creative that you think mm-hmm. why hasn't people why haven't people done this more yeah i just uh, it's such a clever idea because platformers have been going about to different have been about going to different worlds since platformers were a thing you know you've got the tree world then you've got the fire world then you've got you know it's it's just a thing and to have those be represented by the mental states of different people is so it's such a simple thing that you think, why didn't anyone else think of that? 
Yeah, to throw a door and stick it on somebody's head yeah. and to jump in. It's just it's so great. It's so clever to have like people's emotions representing the state of the world and their personality dictating the architecture, the gameplay, everything like that. Psychonauts is just one of those really crazy games where it's all so surreal, but because games are surreal, it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great game. It's hard for me to talk about this game. I mean, I think I've talked about it before on the uh, on the podcast, but I I love it so much, so so much. I think I must have finished it three times or something by now, and it's utterly beautiful. We talked about it last week because of the soundtrack is so yes. fantastic. That's right. Yep. Um. The graphics are so beautiful, but I guess most of all, it's just so funny. I want to talk to everyone, and I want to read everything, and I want to look at everything, and I want to use everything on everyone. You mentioned, I know, on your podcast a while ago, the uh, using the feather on That's... different things, from, yeah. which allows you to kind of see through their eyes, yeah. and you see yourself through their yeah. eyes, and you appear as something different. It's kind of a Freudian yeah. Of the way that you appear to them. That's such a small thing, but it's such a great detail that really embraces the concept of the game and takes it a step further than it needed to go and makes it all the more better for that. Mm-hmm. There is, by the way, a phenomenally hilarious and entertaining speedrun of Psychonauts. I've heard about by, this. Oh, and by an individual who is sitting with the team that designed it at... Uh, at uh, 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 Double Fine. They rely on glitches, don't they? It does rely on glitches, and it's great watching the developers themselves kind of squirm, yep. like, oh yeah, we forgot to test yep. that. Or we never we never picked that up. It's hilarious. The whole thing, I think, is like an hour or an hour and a half or so. Mm. But it's very, very entertaining. Okay. And their team is so wonderful. They're all such great people that they 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 all react just so funny to <laughs> all of this stuff. But that's a... If you're... If, you kind of have a hankering to play this game, but you've played it and finished it too many times, which had darn well better be the case, because it's worth it, it. then this is a good look, way to kind of honestly, see it through new eyes. If you haven't played Psychonauts at this point, what are you doing listening to a podcast about weird and surreal games? You've got a more yeah. important thing to go and do. Play Psychonauts. Play Psychonauts. It's always on sale somewhere, it's too. Always, I've seen if it for, you, on sale for two bucks like, everywhere. It's been, I must own three copies of it by now. I must have bought it for, like, five people by mm. now. Second, it's just... I even just remember, like, playing the demo and just walking around the summer camp, and it was so great just to explore this dumb, weird camp with dumb kids being silly. It's great. Mm-hmm. Even the intro. Oh, and every kid is unique. It yeah. reminded me of um, Bully in uh, that way, where every single person is an individual with their own kind of personality and voice and motivations, and you talk to them all and they react differently to you doing the same thing to them. Mm. Love that so much. I could much. talk about belief for years, so but it's not surreal or weird, mm-hmm. so we should leave it. True enough. Bully's such a great game. All right. It is they a should game. make more oh, games aimed at adults, but where you play as kids, because that's really, really good. Yeah, that's totally what Psychonauts is, too. Mm, it is. All right, tell you what. Um, I want to just rifle off a couple of things uh, in line with my, you know, weird things that have happened in otherwise ordinary okay. games. And um, uh, I'll give you one more, and then uh, we'll uh, call it a day. Sounds good. All right, so the two very quick things that I wanted to mention, weird things in otherwise ordinary games. There was one, one thing in Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. I was playing this game 
uh, my wife, probably girlfriend at the time, was sitting there watching it with me, and I would have forgotten it because it would have been lost to the annals of time uh, if I didn't have confirmation from someone else. I believe what I had done was this great big bike race. Have you played San Andreas, by I the have, way? Yeah. Okay, I love this game like crazy. I believe I had just finished this really long bike race going down Mount Chiliad or something like that, which is like a really windy, difficult, harrowing bicycle race where you can fall off a huge cliff at any moment. It might even have been a motorcycle race or something. Um, and Sorry, sweets, I'm almost done. <laughs> My wife <laughs> is sniffing around. I'm telling the San Andreas story. You know what I'm talking about. So, oh, yeah, the plane falling on your head. So I do this whole really... <laughs> Difficult, difficult thing, and this is a game that it doesn't save itself. When you want to save, you have to drive to one of your safe houses and uh, go into the house and use the disc icon or whatever to save. Uh And so I got all the way through the stupid, extremely difficult mission, and out of absolutely nowhere, this, like, red airplane just careens (laughs) downward right onto my head and explodes and game over. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I, I, so that, that sucked. I love it when games get so advanced that, like, these unpredictable things happen. That's so good. Me too. I, I'm a real sucker for simulations. Yeah, I... I just love simulations. That's a world simulation kind of a yeah, thing I love. Yeah, one quick story that I'll just tell. I think it was Battlefield 3 they were testing it. And one of the people testing complained that he totally shot down this helicopter with his rocket, but that it like clipped through the helicopter and they went back and watched the replay and the rocket actually passed through the open part of the helicopter and came out the other side without touching any of the polygons inside it so it wasn't a clipping error at all it was just that the simulation is way more realistic than this guy was expecting that's standing oh that's cool alright the last thing I've got on my list here is uh, The Sims 2 I think it was The Sims 2 it might have been The Sims 3 Uh, There was a bug for a little while where if you had people over to your house and you have an infant, if there's a rare circumstance where the visitors over at your house were holding your infant and playing with it or something, then all of a sudden, you know, whenever you have a visitor over in The Sims, usually they'll stay as long as they want to until they get sleepy or until their needs are sufficient that they say, okay, it's time to go now. So there used to be a bug where if they were holding your infant and they really had to pee or something, they'd say, okay, I gotta go see ya. And they would carry your infant <laughs> away to their house. And never to be seen again. <laughs> so I never saw this bug myself, uh... but we kind of pissed ourselves laughing at the patch notes that describe these circumstances. It's like, <laughs> neighbors, what, oh, you saw it? Yep, it happened to me a few times. <laughs> I actually did get the bug. But the but thankfully, after a couple of hours, the infant ma- magically reappears on your lawn at your front doorstep like a stork returned. That that's time. terrifying. Oh, so you're like, appears on your lawn. Yeah, that's terrifying. That's great. I, I don't want the magical returning baby. If it's gone, just stay gone. That's easier for. That's too much emotional strain to deal with babies disappearing than coming back. Don't don't hold myself for ransom. That's like kidnapping. That's uh, it's literal kidnapping. Yeah, it really it? is. Well, it's kid borrowing, I guess. The Sims, so many weird things happen in The Sims just by virtue of the openness of it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, we're going to talk about more of those next week when I have my wife back to conclude our Sims discussion. Exciting. But uh, before then, do you have any any other uh, pertinent weirdness to wrap up with? I could talk about a lot of different things, but I will say this. 
Adventure games are obsessed with cockroaches. I don't know why, but one of them called Bad Mojo is really worth playing yeah. if you've never played it. Just because you, it's just so gross and so bizarre, and it's so hard to play and f- weird to figure out. But I guess it's an adventure game. Well, it's more adventure game than anything else, but it's cr- it's great because you don't click on stuff. You just scuttle around and like have to figure out how to solve things by scurrying on things. And mm. and there's so many gro- gross scenes in that game. It's just the acting for the introduction is so '90s, like overacted FMV. Um, but it's hilarious. Yeah, and it's self-aware hilarious. It is. Though it's they overacted on purpose. I hope so. But yeah, there's this weird obsession with cockroaches in adventure games. Um, I can name a couple of others, but I don't want to spoil anything for people. But um, yeah, Bad Mojo. Really, to me, when I think about people embracing like the idea of surreal and stepping outside what we expect from a game, Bad Mojo is really inspiring to me just because they show, here's your genre, here's what you could have done with it, but you haven't done before. Think about it. This is very true. This is why I'm kind of, I don't know, if I would ever call it, a, if I would really consider it an adventure game. It's kind of like a, like a puzzle game really, where the objective, I guess, is to just proceed to the next areas. I mean, I've only gotten, I don't know, probably like a fifth of the way through it's the game. It's a tough game. So. It's very tough, yeah. and it was the controls that got in my way. Like, I knew what I wanted to do, yeah. but I just couldn't. It can be very, very frustrating, but I think it's worth playing for anybody that hasn't, just to experience a new take on playing a game, a control method and a puzzle-solving method that you might not have seen before. For sure. And if you like dead mice, this is the game for you. Not just, like, gross, like, decaying mice corpses. There's a lot of decay. And gross mattress stains and unfinished meals. and Just, oh, it's vile. It's so cool. It's just seeing the world, like, seeing the tiny little neglected details of the world in this already unpleasant... Place. That's the it's weird thing. Super unique. That's thing. the weird thing. You call it a world, but it's a single room that you inhabit. Like that's and that's the whole Roach's world is like this. This I don't. I I never got far enough in it to know if it's a single room or not. But it's like this one little apartment building. You go. You cover such a little amount of ground, but because you're playing as a Roach, it seems like this massive, horrible world. That's right. So, yeah. And it is. Yeah, I think games give us the chance to show people a perspective we've never played before, but a lot of the times that goes un, you know, uncared about. But this is one example where people did care to show that. So yeah. Yeah, that's right. I think we've given a lot of examples of uh, games that have shown things that you know, the games have limitless opportunity to show anything, mm. but that's not usually taken advantage of. Yeah. So I think a lot of the games that we've mentioned today have done a better job of Well, that. where else can you jack off a car? I... Well, no. Okay. We I, should... We should... I'll, I'll, if I find out, I'll let okay. you know. We should leave that one hanging. I was about to compliment you on what a great job of uh, leaving us off on uh, Bad Mojo was, mm. but... Uh, I'm sorry. Now we're, we're one step mm. further now. That's quite okay. <laughs> it has still been a great pleasure to have you aboard on the show yet again. Thank you for having me. Love to have you again sometime. I would love to return whenever you've got something that I could talk about, which is not that much. <laughs> oh, I beg to I'm not an expert on anything. I've just I just like playing games. 
Not an expert on anything, you just have like 76 episodes about designing adventure games with Francisco. Well, I'm good at talking That'll shit. <laughs> I just make it up. <laughs> you must be. Have you not heard the you episodes where I tell everybody to disregard every piece of advice I've ever given? <laughs> I suppose so. Well, is there anything at all that you would like to uh, plug uh, before we adjourn? Um, yeah, you should listen to Square Waves FM. It's a great podcast. And That's awfully nice of you. Mm, no, but I'm... I'm glad to be here and it's fun talking with you again, Brian. And I I make games. You can find them if you want. Nobody needs to get any of that. Honestly, yeah. Okay, well, I very much enjoy your games and you've made a whole bunch of them. I hope you won't mind if I give a link. To no, that. that's fine. I don't... I, I think if people like the games that I make, they'll seek them out for themselves. I don't need to try and convince people, hey, you should play a thing I made. If you like the genre, you'll find them eventually. If not, then you don't need to play them. Well, that's cool. Well, I will I will very wholeheartedly nudge people in that direction because I've enjoyed a lot of your games. Thank you. Especially Piss. I really like making that one. Yeah, you've you've mentioned. I've enjoyed hearing you talking about it. I just love that it's just such a crass name for a game, and there's such a great metaphor for why you call it that. This is just such an analogy. I actually have a totally different that. reason for calling it that. I just don't tell anybody because <laughs> it's so lame. Oh, really? Yeah, I just I honestly I made up the reason in game because I thought it would be funny to reward people if they told me they like the name of the game in the game. Oh, don't tell me that. It was like so profound and beautiful. The reason. <laughs> for calling it that. I'm secretly an asshole, I'm sorry. <laughs> secretly? <laughs> you got me. That's I deserve ah, that. Zing. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thank you a million for joining for joining us once again. Fantastic to talk to you. I man. had a lot of fun, and I hope to join you again someday. Oh, gosh. You know what I've forgotten now two episodes in a row is to capitalize on your incredible generosity of offering a code for a game that we were supposed to... I was supposed to make some kind of a... some excuse for giving it away to one of my listeners. Yeah. Uh, okay, tell you what, listeners. First person to uh, write in, either with a voicemail or with an email, and tell us a little bit about a weird game that you've played. And uh, Well, you know what? We've already had that, haven't we? We have. We've had the good Mr. Akago send us this fantastic voicemail about the Neverhood. There you go. So... I will check with uh, him and see whether he is already in possession of this game, and if not, then I will think of something else. Well, if not, then, uh, folks, please uh, please uh, write in and tell us about weird games that you've enjoyed. And uh, first person who does not own this game is going to earn it. Very good. Yeah. Very good. So thank you very much, Mr. Chandler, for that. And thank you, listeners, for listening. You can catch us on the web at squarefm.demodulated.com. Email is squarefm at demodulated.com, and on Twitter we are at squarewavesfm. So, thanks a whole heap, and stay weird, and uh, may the weird be with you. I don't think any of us have a choice about the staying weird thing. Yeah, I know. Well... A man can dream. Yeah. (laughs) Alright, have a good one, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Ben. Not Great to from, talk to you as always. Of course, it was very lovely to talk about very weird games with you. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry for sullying your podcast with stories about jacking cars <laughs> off. Oh, that's pretty unique. It wouldn't be an episode about weird games without yeah. you know, the weirdest of the I, weird, I suppose. I think I might have to see this for myself. I, it's so short. It's, but yeah. I kind of hope so. I yeah, 
I could have talked about so many 90s games, but I thought, no, everybody knows about that from Richard Cobbett's crapshoot articles. I'll talk about the the ones people don't know. Yeah, true enough. It's kind of tough to, to choose something that he hasn't, isn't it? He's a great guy. Oh, he sure hmm. is. Anyway, I shouldn't keep you up any longer because I realize that it's getting late where you are. Oh, yeah, that's quite all right. Well, I'm going to go spend the rest of my evening with the missus. Apparently, she's been grinding nuts for the most wonderful of reasons, which is that she's made homemade baklava. Oh, I love baklava. Are you kidding me? It's Oh, you are me a too. lucky man. I sure am. <laughs> What's that? You're smashing nuts. My mistake, my dear. Mm. You know, my, with my meat pounder. <laughs> with your meat pounder. Okay, I... I... <laughs> Brian? All or all or most of me will be <laughs> around tomorrow to tell the tale. All I can say is stay <laughs> safe, mate. Okay, I'll do my best. <laughs> Take it easy, Ben. Great to talk I to you. I will. Goodbye. <laughs>